With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I meant to look this up. Recorded live. He was with the White Sox last year, and they were saying the Indians might sign the guy. But it would create a log jam. I heard, like, this was just some random person talking. But I guess this guy has power. What position does he play? Right field. An outfielder. Uh-huh. Yeah, not for, I don't know who you're talking about. It's not a, I mean, yeah, on that. I had it written down. I don't know. I can't keep up with anything right now. So I had a bunch of shit written down for the Indians. I couldn't find the shit today. I want to start with college basketball. Uh, I mean, it's not much really to say. I'm so disgusted with these guys. I'm Ohio State Buckeye. Oh. That was a miserable loss. I mean, that's just it's a loss you can't you can't have. You know, and, and the other part about it too, that what? How do you get eight days off at this time of the year? Uh, we'll get we'll get into that. Um, hold on. Uh, let's go into the college basketball one now. Um wanna do I'll I'll drop the top twenty five. I'll probably drop the top ten and then if there's any other team, um we go into it. Uh, we'll go to the top twenty five, then you know, just discussion of the top ten teams, if there's anybody in there. Then the possible four seed the possible seeds, top you know, four seeds, the number one seeds. So out of that top ten who we think actually will make it to March. Um, then we'll talk about conferences. I think the Big 12 is the best conference, so a little bit about that, not a lot, just, you know, saying what each conference holds, whether those teams will be tested, getting through their conference tournaments type of thing. Um, and then we'll talk about that will lead us into talking about the Big 10. You see what I'm saying? And we can talk about Ohio State. Um, and then uh, before we get to conferences, actually, I'm just going to tease something I'm going to put up, but it's about just big men out there. Um, it's going to be, I'm going to do top five big men and top five guards uh, in a country that I think people should keep an eye on. So, cool. Um, that sounds good. Is the Big 12 having a conference championship tournament? Yeah. I, <laughs> I was saying it kind of tongue-in-cheek. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, let me, uh, me double-check. Yes, 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 because it's in, it's in Kansas City. I mean, it's in um, St. Louis. Yes, they do. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> yes, they do. Amazing. The Big 12 actually going to crown a champion on the field for one of their sports. 
they should take a note from the basketball. Uh, maybe they, I mean, they were supposed to get people off the court during court storms, but at least they, you know. <laughs> right. Frank Martin's not even there. I don't know what's going on in Manhattan. I actually have the Sugar Bowl on right now. Third quarter, Ohio State 27-21. Cardell Jones was so good in that game, man. So was Michael Thomas. Jesus, this Jack, man. It's so good. It's the best thing still going. Man, we're going to be so fucking loaded next year at skill positions. Michael Thomas and Jalen Marshall with another year. Fuck, forget about it. Haha, Ezekiel has just went in. Alabama fans with hands on their heads. Slack-jawed. Not that that's something that's not normal. The slack-jaw part. I may have to travel to Birmingham for a week and right before I go uh, to spring training for work. That'll be interesting because I will be rocking all Ohio State gear. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll do that after the freshman watch. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, it'll be the same thing. I want to talk about the suspended players. Um, I've never seen a year of college basketball with this many suspended players. Like you know, even if it's just for a time period, like Mark Loving, I've never seen this many kids get suspended in college basketball. I just, in my okay. memory. Um, of notes, um, but I didn't prepare it. I can think of, I mean, of course, the Chris Jones situation is the one that stares out just because of what happened today. That leads into a little bit of a bigger statement on sports in general. I, I don't remember this going on in sports across the board in every sport, it seems like, from Jameis Winston to Ray Rice. Um or something happened in basketball. Amazing. The NBA, the league that all the everybody thinks they're a bunch of thugs, they're the ones that are keeping their noses clean. I mean, you got all the all the steroid shit with Major League. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's one. Keith Frazier from SMU. SMU, the other one is uh, Rashad Kuhlman. Now it's coming back to me just off the top of my head. Rashad Kuhlman, which I still didn't find out why this guy got suspended from Duke.
Okay, so I'll do this one fast. Um, then do the regular show. It's just going to be us talking. We'll go Cavs, Browns, break, then uh, CBJ, and then um, MMA. Um, and then we'll do the Indian show. Interesting week for the MMA. They uh, pretty much implemented the policy I was screaming for. Yeah, I told you it was multi-million dollars, um, which they, they should yeah. have did a long time ago, but still they can't control how the players get suspended. They can only advise the suspensions. Like it has to come from whatever athletic commission failed to test that. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, not, that's what I was trying to say. They could not book a guy, right? Huh? They could not book a guy. They could, yeah, they could, they could not book a guy and suggest what the suspension should be, but you're saying if they're on their roster. Right. But even that, that's right. not, and then leave and fight at a Bellator, you can fight somewhere else. Like the Bellator fight just came back, all the pre-fight uh, drug tests, they released it just on a, um, they came back um, clean. So Right. So that's what that's what I was trying to, it's the athletic commissions that actually need to apply the Olympic style of, you know, suspend because the the and I have it written down here, but like right now, if you get suspended, it's nine months. The UFC, if it's a fighter on their roster, they want to suspend that person for four years. So they're trying to yeah, make they, it more stringent. You know what I'm saying? But they can't impose that. They can only suggest that suspension. You see what I'm saying? Well, they could they could impose it with the as long as the fighter's on their roster. Pretty much, if you give him a four year ban, he's going to leave. But see, if the commission did it, it will be a four-year ban on any for all, case. For, yeah, exactly. For all. exactly. Yeah. You understand what across I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah across, across the, board, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, right. You can't leave UFC to go fight for Bellator or Strikeforce or whatever. Yeah, and then some of these other small things. So, like, you then, that's when you make somebody, like, think about their life. You know, like, now, what about go, overseas? It's not, like go, it's, it's not like you can go, it's the same thing. It'll be, it'll be overseas, too, though. Like, I mean, okay, exactly. you're fighting in some... It depends right. on the uh, commission there, actually, but, I mean, pretty much people would know. You know what I'm saying? And that that's the whole thing. Right. If everybody would adopt that type of drug testing, then you see what I'm saying? It's not like you can go somewhere else and try to pass a test, you know? Exactly. Um, so you gotcha. basically would be, like, it's almost like really getting blackballed, you know? Yeah, right. For four years. That's what, that's one thing. I've talked to some different people that I know, like just in the community, and their whole thing is the fighters got to stop taking the drug. You know, like that's the whole right. thing. You know, guys. Wanna... What do you think about four years? Is that too harsh, or do you think that I am of the opinion that if, until you do something like that, it's just going to be they're going to be pushing the envelope. But if you give them four years, people are going to stop. Well, it makes it it makes it it is a deterrent but not for a young fighter. You know, like if you're right. 22 years old, starting out fighting, um, it's different if you're 28. Like if you're 28, four years, is that's the, you know, that's the sweet right. spot of your career. You see what I'm saying? Plus, you're 22, you come back at 26, you can then still, you know. Plus, you're trying to make a name for yourself when you're real young. So there's yeah. more, I don't know if there'd be more upside, but it, what I'm saying is the guys who are 28, they're in that, that part of the policy that they're going to be tested over and over again because they're established. If you're young, there's still that, I don't want to call it a loophole, but there's that uh, circumstance that you're not going to be tested as much as some of these established guys. The one guy that just retired, Kung Lee, 
he was an actor too, um, and a lot of actors use that stuff that they were saying. A lot of those guys that were in 300 uh, used like steroids to get that bulked up like that. Um, mm-hmm. He failed his test after the Michael Bisbang fight, and you know he pretty much tried to fight it for a little while and then ended up retired. But he was 38 years old, so you see what I'm saying? For somebody like that, right. four year ban, his career is pretty much over. You see what I'm right. saying? Right. So. Who took uh, the title off of Lesnar? Frank Mir. Okay. I remember. In UFC? You're saying UFC, yeah. right? in UFC, yeah. Yeah, Frank Mir. I believe it was Frank. No, no. It was uh, Kane Glasquist. I knew that. I don't know why. Just, yeah, that's how you got the title. Okay. Yeah, Kane Glasquist. That's the dude I, I took a picture with out in Vegas. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Cool. You're saying he can't come back and fight because of concussion. But I don't know if you've seen that. He might stay in wrestling. Hmm. Who, Lesnar? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know Monday night he walked out of Monday Night Raw uh, over contract and shit with Vince. He was supposed to be on the air, and uh, and he never was on the air. And rumors are that, well, not rumors, it was verified. He walked out of Monday Night Raw. Piss. I wonder how much that contract negotiation is also with, you know, his aspirations for getting back into fighting. And with what you just said, now I'm wondering if that's the case or if it's just money and appearances. I mean, I, you know, that's going to be that, – that, that's a good conversation, actually. Now that you have that, it just made me think that's the next situation, you know. Um, right, the crossover contracts. Well, not, not so much crossover, but concussions. For fight, yeah, yeah. So you got, yeah, or you got even you got any kind of athlete that then comes over into the UFC. You know what I'm saying? Right. What what do what do uh, what is their? I mean, they have a they see that's a good thing about that. They follow the same protocols as boxing does when it comes to like you know fighters inside the ring. But it's guys that have suffered multiple concussions. Will they let a guy keep fighting? You know. Right, and what's to say how many times you were concussed if you're coming out of something like professional wrestling? Yeah, because, uh, I mean, yeah. What was, CM, like, what, CM Punk might have 40, right, 40 concussions already. And, and or even, it's football, not, even football. It's not, even in football, like, you know, they have yeah. uh, Brandon Schaub and right. stuff like that. Those guys, when Brandon Schaub was playing for the Dolphins, you know, even the DB, how many concussions did he have that weren't reported? Well, that's easier because in football you're at least tracking it, you know. In, in a in they weren't like tracking professional until wrestling. wrestling. About like four years ago, they weren't really tracking. Yeah, but I mean, going forward, they're tracking it. But in yeah, professional yeah, yeah. wrestling, I don't I know if they're saying. tracking it. Yeah. So when a guy comes in, it, what's the baseline? I mean, your baseline is already all skewed up because of not having any sort of record of concussion. Unless the unless the WWE or whoever has uh, has a protocol that I'm not familiar with. No, that's, that, I don't know. Interesting.
All right, let's get started. I'm caught up in this Lesnar thing because I can't remember. They do this intern thing because I remember he got the mono, and that was a thing. So he was supposed to coach on the Ultimate Fighter. When's our year? Hmm? What? When, when's our one May. year? May. May. May? Okay. When we started in May. Yeah. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake, our college basketball 2015 show. I am D, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to Columbus. We're talking college hoops. And to give you a quick rundown in this college basketball show, we're going to take a quick look through the top 25, discuss what might be the best conference in the country, uh, take a quick break, then we're going to come back, have a quick discussion of suspended players, and we're going to discuss what's going on with the Ohio State Buckeye basketball team. We're going to talk uh, the guards on watch and then also talk big men on campus. So we're going to give you the top five guards and top five big men uh, to keep an eye on in the college basketball world. Then we're going to give you our teams to watch for an attorney that may, you know, bust some brackets. And then, of course, we will honor the great Hondo, John Havlicek, who was uh, just nominated to the college, to the National College Basketball Hall of Fame. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. We're talking hoops, coming back on the other side, looking through the AP Top 25. All right, we're back, and, of course, we're talking the AP Top 25 in college basketball. At the number one, there's nowhere else to go but into Lexington, Kentucky. We're talking Big Blue Nation and University of Kentucky. Uh, undefeated right now, 27-0, trying to march to perfection to meet that Indiana team that went undefeated and won a national championship under the great General Bobby Knight, Ohio State alumni. Uh, number two, we have the Virginia Cavaliers. Number three, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Number four, the Duke Blue Devils. Number five, the Wisconsin Badgers, who just had a terrible loss to the Maryland Terrapins. Number six, the Villanova Wildcats out of Philadelphia. Number seven, the Arizona Wildcats. Number eight, the Kansas Jayhawks, who just got upset by their uh, little brothers up north, Kansas State. Number nine, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And number ten, the Northern Iowa Wildcats are your number 10 team in the country. And uh, Northern Iowa trying to make a name for itself there and going into a huge matchup with, of course, the darlings of last year, of the last two years of the tournament, the Wichita State Shockers coming up this Saturday. Jake, what do you see? What points out? I mean, of course, we talk Kentucky and the rest of the top 10, but uh, well, let's start with Kentucky, of course, first. Their march for perfection. Can they do the impossible? Improbable. I think I, I think the way it stands right now, um, they've got as good of a shot as anybody has had uh, since UNLV probably or St. Joe's back in the back in the day. Um, they they're gonna. I mean, you get into the argument: is it better to lose one before the tournament and all that sort of stuff? 
you know, the only thing working against them is they have just so many freshmen that they rely on, and you get one bad night. But the, the the thing that I like about their chances is defense travels. You know, they're they're able to defensively really shut down teams, and uh, it, 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 when you got size and you've got defense, uh, you, you don't have to worry as much about those nights where you where you're not shooting uh, 55%, you can win games uh, shooting 45%. So uh, I, I think Kentucky is the real deal. They've got 10 deep. And uh, as of right now, I, I I think more likely that they do go undefeated than they don't. I think it's going to be very tough just because they haven't been getting up for every game. They've got a big game against Arkansas, who is also in the top 25 coming up Saturday. Um, and it's not so much them uh, getting beat by somebody, but it's allowing themselves to get beating or allowing themselves to lose. They they came out, it was a game against um, Ole Miss where the game went down to the wire. They've had a couple close games go down to the wire. But they don't play well in the first half, and they end up letting the team hang around. And then they – they have a they they then then they go ahead and try to turn it on in the second half, but they're not a great free throw shooting team with all the bigs. They they shoot good enough through their guards, but not with their bigs. Uh, when we talk about and they got, I mean, everybody on this roster almost is about to play at the <laughs> at the next level in the National Basketball Association, as you said. Uh, the Harrison Twins, if you're talking, you know, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, the freshman, six eleven, two fifty. We're talking to Willie Cauley Stein, who's playing out of his mind. Uh, also a seven-footer, and then Dakari Johnson, who's a sophomore and seven-footer, and most notably who's not there is Alex Portress, who got hurt at the beginning of the season, who's out for the whole season. Um, I definitely think they are a formidable team. They could win it, but are they mentally tough enough to stay perfect? I don't think so, just because it's very hard for these kids. And, you know, you hear Coach Cal on TV all the time talking about we need to get punched in the mouth. Well, I've heard him say that after like four or five games this season already. I don't know how many teams, how many times a team can get punched in the mouth before they get knocked down. Let me ask you this: uh, If you had to pick a team uh, right now that you think matches up well with Kentucky, or could give Kentucky uh, a really tough run, who in that top ten do you think best matches up with Kentucky? Well, I'll say this: the team that I think that can beat Kentucky, it's not so much who matches up well with them because nobody can match up well with them. It's a team that can get hot and play well. And the two teams that come to mind, now this is going to sound crazy, but I'll tell you one team that Kentucky doesn't want to see in the tournament is Northern Iowa. Just because they're a team that shoots well, they're undersized, Kentucky will take them lightly, and Kentucky would have a hard time playing from behind if they didn't play smart. Um, those, they, they, and I'll tell you another team that sticks out to me in the top 25 is Iowa State. You want a team that can score close to 90 points, a uh, high-motor high team, you know, offensive juggernaut. They're not going to try to stop Kentucky on defense. They're going to try to run them. They're going to try to run at them. Whereas Kentucky team, you need to be trying to penetrate and get those big guys in foul trouble. Yes, they're going to keep rotating guys on, but that puts those kids in pressure. So you've seen Carl uh, Anthony Towns have to sit down with two fouls in the first half. That impacts that whole Kentucky basketball team Carl Anthony Towns is the engine that makes that team go, and it's it's one of these things. We've seen it with Ohio State, who we'll, of course, talk about later. But as a freshman to come in, and you have seniors and juniors, uh, uh, well, you have upperclassmen at Kentucky, um, not seniors. You have upperclassmen at Kentucky. Then, you know, uh, letting a freshman come in and lead them is a weird thing to me, but that's the way the dynamic is in college basketball these days. 
that kind of team could beat Kentucky. Uh, you're looking for a running gun, fast offensive type of team that, you know, averages up to 80, 90 points. You've got to outscore Kentucky and then put the pressure on their big man to stay on the floor and be uh, committed and not commit so many fouls. Yeah, I, I think that that's uh, definitely the type of team that's going to beat them. I think there's one other type of team, and there's only really a couple of them in the country. And, you know, Wisconsin's one of them, and Duke's one of them. And that's because they got a big to match the bigs. And especially with Wisconsin, their ability of their bigs, when Kaminsky's healthy, to actually extend and make, uh, make the Kentucky bigs guard outside. Uh, I, I think that's a big key is to, to really make make these guys work defensively and have to play on two sides of the court. It's definitely interesting. Uh, I mean, looking at that top ten, there's no world beaters uh, after Kentucky. They're they're all uh, very capable teams, very good teams, but uh, I, I don't see one of them really standing out as a, a superior team like Kentucky does. Here's the other thing, too, I will say about Kentucky. Um, is another team that comes to mind to me is North Carolina. But I think Roy Williams has declined as a college basketball coach, especially in crunch time situations. You saw them in overtime. Uh, this Roy Williams guy, they had a lead of about, I believe it was close to eight to nine points going into the last two minutes of that game. And they allowed Duke. And just the time management by Coach K was brilliant in that game of fouling and different things. But the only reason I bring North Carolina because they have the size to match. It's one thing to have one great, I mean, great, I mean, you talk about Kaminsky, you talk about Jaleel Oakwood for, for uh, Wisconsin and Duke, respectively. Those those bigs are awesome. They're, you know, of course, going to the next level, can do everything that you want from a guy. But you've got to have size to match their size. So if, if Kaminsky goes off the court, or Oakwood goes off the court, who's the next guy up for those teams? You know, I mean, we're talking about, um, you're talking uh, with uh, Duke, you're talking Plumlee, and then with uh, Wisconsin, you're talking um, Noel. Nevertheless, but it, you have a little, you have a huge drop off there. Uh, when North Carolina, they don't have a guy that's skilled, but they got three guys with size. You got Meeks, you got Jackson, you got seven footers, you know, some a little bit thinner build and whatnot. But you've got guys that can bang with those other guys and constantly keep the pressure on them inside. But to me, I don't think that's the way you would beat this Kentucky team. I think you've got to literally shoot the lights out on them, take advantage of those bigs, kind of like you say, make them play defense, rotate the ball around and make those bigs come out and try to guard shooters. That's what I'm saying. You've got to, you know, attack from the corner, shoot from the corner, shoot from the wings, and uh, make those guys come out and challenge shots, and that will tire them out, like you're saying, uh, with them playing defense. I, I just think that's the only way Kentucky will lose. And also, too, you've got to catch them slipping um, a little bit with them. I, I haven't seen that. If you know, when you think about marching for perfection and you think about the teams, you mentioned St. Joe's and, and and the UNLV running Rebels. Those teams back in the day were such juggernauts during the regular season. You think about that St. Joe's backcourt with uh, Delonte West and Jameer Nelson. I mean, right there, you know, those two guys are lighting you up. You know, like so you you, you think about that, and of course, the running Rebels. Uh, rest in peace to the Shark. But we know all those guys. Four of those five guys went to the NBA. Elite scores, you know. So you you think about that. Um, this Kentucky team, they all score pretty well, but they run better actually with a backup point guard, and this one hurts my heart, and I have to bring it up. Tyler Ulis, um, this kid, when he's running that team, it is running like a regular basketball team. With the Harrison twins, it, it's more of a two combo guards, you know, setting up everything and throwing the ball into the post. 
with Tyler Eulis, they're literally cutting and passing, looking like a, you know, more well-rounded basketball team. And, of course, Tyler Eulis being from Lima, Ohio, which we know the other great guards out of Lima, Ohio, of course, Aaron Kraft and Jameer Butler, who went to the Ohio State University. And once again, we'll get to this later, but you kind of wonder how we let this guy slip out. But uh, playing at the University of Kentucky is a great opportunity as well. So, I mean, you can't blame the guy for going to a big group. No, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you you always like to keep the, the hometown products at home. But there's too many of them, it seems, especially uh, on the pigskin side. But uh, uh, I, I think the, the pretty much, the, and you made a great point, the, the free throws are one thing that concerned me with Kentucky um, and then also their uh, their youth. But other than that, I mean, they've got, They've got all the talent in the world, so uh, it's it's going to be a daunting task to, for someone to take them out. And the one thing, you know, people have, have questioned Coach Cal, whether he was a great, you know, in-game adjustment coach or XNO coach. What he is is a great motivator. The, the relationship he develops with this player, the, these players, especially these one and dunners, um, you know, is amazing. And the way that he's able to motivate them and get them up, you see him very vehement on the sidelines at times. Other times he's laughing with them. You know, it, it, that's the thing that you like to see in uh, any level of sports, but especially at the collegiate level when you see, in, uh, especially a team that's under this much pressure and trying to do something historical. Yeah, absolutely, that's the case. Who else in that top ten D do you uh, look at with uh, some some big aspirations come tournament time? Well, you got to look out west, the Pacific Northwest, exactly to the Kennel and the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Uh, Mark Few has had these teams, and not since Adam Morrison have they really lived up to the hype. Uh, we think about Adam Morrison, the terrible scene of him crying after that loss they had. They suffered uh, trying to get to the national championship, making it to the Final Four. But Gonzaga, they will probably be uh, up in the top seeds, which we'll talk about later. Um, they're number three in the country right now, but can they, you know, keep going? And uh, they have their big, which one is one that we love uh, to mention, is, of course, the name that you know, Sabonis. Um, they have his son. What's it? Of course, the great Arvidas Sabonis, and he's not my bonus. He's not your bonus. He's Arvidas Sabonis. Oh yeah, Demontis Sabonis. So uh, the six eleven freshman out there in the middle for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Um, they, they they have the heady point guard. You know they'll be ready to go, but how far can they go in the tournament? Two other teams that I am having a hard time buying into in that top ten is Virginia and Villanova. I like Virginia. They lost their best score. Uh, they lost their best quarter to a hand injury right now. He should be back for their conference tournament tournament time. But my thing with Virginia, they played too many close games for my liking sometimes, uh, let teams hang around. And then they just they try to keep teams low. And in a tournament, if somebody gets hot against you and that's your style of play, you can be saying goodbye real quickly. Uh, but Villanova and Jay Wright, they have constantly had perennial good teams that get high ranks, especially coming out of the Big East right now. They're the power. But they have been awful, awful in the tournament in the last decade. And he's another guy that I think is declining, at least when it comes to the big pressure games. Uh, this year he's got one of the best teams he's had since probably Randy Foy and Kyle Lowry were in the backcourt. So uh, hopefully the Wildcats can show and prove and, you know, bring some respect back to the Big East, which that conference is definitely hurting uh, with the loss of 
of Syracuse and those teams. But, you know, um, you know, it's just one of those things you would like to see Villanova do well. Yeah, the the problem with Jay Wright in most recent years is I think of him as a really, really good broadcaster, which is no good for his uh, day job. Um, I, I do like Gonzaga. I, I, I'm a little nervous with them always, uh, how well they've been tested through the year, especially going in, uh, coming into the tournament. Um, and we know their recent uh, failures as they became, went from Cinderella to a team that people were counting on to uh, make big, big runs at times. Now, I'm going to give you four other teams to look at and definitely be watching. Uh, I mentioned Iowa State is one, Northern Iowa. Those aren't the four, but I'm just saying those are the teams. We, of course, we love Fred Hoiberg. Uh, we'll know what Northern Iowa was made after their big matchup with Wichita State, as previously mentioned. Uh team to look out for Utah with Chris Dooling. He is uh, not Dooling. Chris Utah, the team with Wright, Darrell Wright's little brother at the guard position, they're number 13 in the country right now. You also want to look at the Big Ten's newest addition who has helped prop up the Big Ten. Uh, The Maryland Terrapins are a very good basketball team uh, with Des Wells and and Lehman, and they're just a team that is uh, definitely clicking at the right way, Uh, and the freshman Trimble, that team can score a lot, and they play good defense. Another team in the top 25 to look at, is the San Diego State. Well, it's two coaches that you know their names very well, of course. I just lost the same. We want to look at the SMU Bulldogs with Larry Brown and, of course, the San Diego State Aztecs. Steve Fisher. Steve Fisher. I was thinking Fisher of that. Yeah, the San Diego Aztecs with Steve Fisher. I think those are two teams that can put it together they got great size. They know how to play. And these teams have been uh, building to a crescendo that will definitely make, lead to success in March. Yeah, I absolutely love Utah. I, I think they're very much under the radar. Nobody's really paying close attention to them. Uh, also, Wichita uh, is always dangerous come tournament time. Uh, you talk about you and I and Wichita coming up. That's going to be a great game. Um, so one of those two teams I expect a deep run from. Uh, also, keep an eye out for Wyoming, uh, the Wyoming Cowboys, uh, the great Larry Nance of Cleveland Cavaliers. Fame. Uh, his son is uh, a dominant force in the middle for the Wyoming Cowboys. We look at teams outside the top 25 real quick. Um, just some to, to mention that definitely have not made it in. Uh, of course, Ohio State is now outside the top 25. Texas, Georgetown, Michigan State. These are teams that definitely will be players in the tournament, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, um, you know. And, but we look around the country, and we a lot of people think just because uh, Kentucky, the SEC is not that great, they actually are having a better season this year uh, and probably will get five teams in the tournament. But I think the best conference, in my opinion, is the Big 12. You look at, uh, of course, Kansas, which is in the top ten, but Iowa State, Baylor, West Virginia, and then honorable mention, of course, like I just said, Oklahoma State, uh, uh, Texas, and then you've got Kansas State with Bruce Weber. I think that conference is stacked, and I think they're playing some of the best basketball, and they're getting tested in and tested out. And it's, uh, I, I just really am enjoying what I see from the Big 12. 
Yeah, I agree. They're very. They're, that's a strong conference. Uh, obviously, the ACC is still a very big, powerful conference uh, with Duke and North Carolina, uh, Notre Dame having a big year. Um, and you know, I, I like the top end of the Pac-12. Uh, I, I think Arizona is a very, very underrated team, and I love Sean Miller. The come tournament time, that guy's uh, that guy's a witch. So. Uh, those are two teams, two conferences also that uh, and don't, don't count out the Big Ten. I think top to bottom, I mean, even the bottom teams like Nebraska, Northwestern, in um, Penn State, they, they're, they're giving guys games. And it, I mean, it, it's not uh, it's not really great at the top. Uh, it's solid at the top after Wisconsin. Uh, Michigan State's a little bit down, but it's still a strong conference that's going to send eight to ten teams to the dance. So, uh, Big Ten uh, still representing well. Yeah, the addition of Maryland definitely helps, as mentioned before. Um, this year has been a weird year in college basketball. Um, we've seen more suspended players this year than any year that I can remember. You talk about the Pac-12, Oregon. Uh, definitely trying to fight their way into the conversation, but they would have been a lot better off. They had three suspended players because of a alleged sexual assault this summer. Um, we look at the situation that is definitely devastating at the University of Louisville with Chris Jones, who has just been dismissed of the team because of a possible rape allegation. Um, you look at uh, uh, Keith Frazier down at SMU. That's an academic situation. Rasheed Suleiman with an undisclosed situation. One of their uh, – upperclassmen on that team uh, being dismissed from the university, uh, being dismissed from Duke University. And then, of course, we had a situation which I still haven't gotten to the bottom with, uh, Mark Loving being dismissed from the Ohio State Buckeyes, which I was I was, I was was frantic because I was really worried, and it was great to see him reinstated and actually get on the court for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah, that's such a curious story. It never did come out. Uh, whoever, I mean, that, that locker room is pretty tight-lipped, and, uh, all the coaches and SIDs and everything else, because uh, uh, to this day, Ohio State fans who are we got let's put it this way: we've got some pretty good sleuths out there, uh, Columbus Dispatch, um, and they never never did come up with an answer why Mark Levin got suspended. Um, you know, this, it's it just seems like yeah, there's a lot of suspensions. It seems like it's transcending sports almost, uh, unfortunately, from the issues with domestic violence in the NFL. Uh, to steroids in Major League Baseball, uh, it just more than ever. It seems like we're talking, and you know what? It's more than ever, but it's been building that way every year. It seems like it's more and more and more. We're talking about off the field stuff and less and less about what's going on on the court. So, um, you know, the, we're in a a phase of transition with punishments and uh, identifying what we need to be looking for. So. Yeah, hopefully that starts tailing off, but it, it's just it's no fun. Well, we've got some uh, more negativity to talk about, and we will talk about that on the other side of the break. We're very happy that Mark Levin is back with the Ohio State basketball team, but we'll be talking about Ohio State's loss to the team up north and everything in front of the Ohio State basketball team on the other side of this break. This is with an Ohio Bias podcast for real fans with me and Jake. We will see you on the other side. We gotta do another college basketball show. I was getting thinking about thinking about some other stuff that I wanted to say. I didn't want to go too deep. Though. I want to keep it. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll do it like right before the conference championships start, like that week before.
I forgot to say, SMU is also in the Big 12. That's why they got the most teams in the top 25. SMU's in the Big 12? Yeah. Really? Remember? Yep. Yeah. Wow. They're That's Texas. news to me. Think about it. They're, they're Texas. That's four they're not. They're not. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's Dallas. I believe so. Oh, no, they're in Conference oh. America. They're in no. Conference America. Yeah. Yeah. But they are having a great year. They're under the radar too. They got the. They had. They remember they lost one kid who went to play overseas professionally, and this Keith Frazier kid, the guard. They so they lost two guards that were supposed to be. Um, the one kid is playing professionally. I can't remember his name. Professionally overseas. Um, I'm still bad with. Kid, I'm still bad with college names. But how about that kid for Arizona? That wing. You see his size. That freshman. Stanley Johnson. Yeah. yeah Stanley, wow. Stanley Johnson. Yeah. He's going to be. Uh, yeah, he, he reminds me of That's like uh, Charles Oakley, Xavier McDaniel for the next 15 years, just pummeling people in the NBA. Man, I was sad. I saw Xavier McDaniel. It's like real sick, man. Like on like in the hospital, like clinging to life. I don't know if you've seen. I posted that story on Facebook. No, I think that one slipped by me. Yeah, no, he's like I forget. He's had like I don't know some huge medical issues though, but the guy's like. Clinging the lights, man. Like, it's not good. I was sad to. I, I hated yeah. those New York Knicks teams, but I respected them. You know, like it was different. You know, like mm-hmm. it just wasn't like. I don't know. Um, yeah, right same now. with the Pistons. I, teams. I, I, I hated those Pistons teams, but I respected the hell out of them. Because Xavier McDaniel, if I remember, I think he went to Clemson. Um, but mm-hmm. he he was the first point forward. So I I think I put the message up. He paved the way for LeBron James. Like his position yeah. didn't even exist. You know, yeah, him and about him that. and Scotty. Yeah. yeah. But remember, Scotty was a small forward, so it wasn't that strange for him to, you know, like to really be. No, that's, yeah, for sure. But yeah, yeah. I forward. mean, for Scotty, the way he played, you know, like, yeah. I mean, but, yeah, I think I think about David McDaniel was running that. I mean, when I think point, I mean, David McDaniel was running that team, like, as a point guard. You know what I mean? Like, coming mm-hmm. down, setting everybody up, I mean, um, for the size he was. Right. All right, let's get it. We are back, and we're talking Ohio State basketball. And, you know, the tone and the voice may be a little bit. We are back, and we're talking Ohio State basketball. The tone and the voice may be a little bit because it's unacceptable to me that you can send out 11 to 12 young men from with the state of Ohio represented on their chest and on their jersey, and they come out with the lack of energy that I saw in Ann Arbor last uh, Sunday, and they play that way in the first half. They definitely came back in the second half, and you see guys that have been there for years just looking like they didn't want to be there. Um, I didn't understand what was going on with those Buckeyes in the first half. They ended up losing. It was too deep of a hole. They were down double digits, 20 points plus at some point to uh, the team up north. I just didn't understand what I was watching, and I, I, I was uh, quite quite literally disgusted with the performance of the Ohio State Buckeye basketball. Yeah, um, it, it was – first of all, how do teams at this point of the year have eight days off in between games? You know, that, that has to go to a part – I mean, I'm not trying to come up with excuses here, but for a team to have that long off in between st- uh, playing games, it, it's just – it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, uh, especially in a rivalry game like that. It was unfortunate, but um, – 
it's uh it definitely hurt our stock that's for sure um it's a bad loss it looks bad uh, almost as bad as Michigan's uniforms but um it's you know we we've got to build from it and go from it and come back out and get get rolling right into the tournament well, Ohio State basketball—they they lost uh, 64 to 57 to the team up north. Um, you know, they were without Anthony Lee, who missed the two games previous to that, which was Penn State and Rutgers, which were—I uh, mean, excuse me—Michigan State, which was a loss also. Um, and then Penn State—he's uh, recovering. Um, hopefully, he gets back in the lineup because uh, I once again I was just disappointed with the effort. But like you said, you move on and see what you can build from. Um, one of the questions that I wasn't posing—I saw a great article we posted on the Facebook page. Is Ohio State, is that Mata asking too much from a freshman D'Angelo Russell right now? We know he's great. We saw him have a bad, a very bad first half, but fight to get put. Jay Shaw Tate's out there bringing injury. Are we asking too much from these freshmen when you have a team of upperclassmen? we got four upperclassmen on this team who should be able to put out more energy and better output as far as what they're doing on the basketball court to help that team be successful. Uh, for me, short answer is no. Uh, we just got done talking about Kentucky, and they're counting on six freshmen. Uh, you know, the, he's the best player possibly in the country. Um, whether he's a freshman or not, it doesn't matter to I me. Mean, he needs the ball needs to be going through his hands at all times. Uh, yeah, we got a little bit of leader, uh, a little bit of senior leadership, but I mean, Shannon Scott has definitely not lived up to what he's capable of from what we've seen early. Uh, the two bigs are, are very, I mean, they, we knew what we were coming into with those guys. Amir Johnson, or Amir Williams has actually regressed. And Trey McDonald, uh, there was nowhere to go but up. So, um, and, and then you talk about Sam Thompson, who's just so inconsistent with the jump shot. Um <laughs> We need to rely less on him as a shooter. He needs to be taking the ball to the hoop, and he needs to be rebounding. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think D'Angelo needs to have the ball is the bottom line, and, no, we're not relying too much on him. Well, I'll say this. We come up against Nebraska, the Cornhuskers, and uh, Tim Miles, who had locked his team out of, of their uh, cushy locker room um, after their last loss. So they're coming in here limping um, to the uh, shot. And with this Buckeye basketball team, and then we got Purdue on the schedule, who we owe one after losing to those those guys with uh, A.J. Hammonds and that team and Matt Painter squad. And then we are at Penn State, and then uh, we got the big one with the matchup of the game that we actually need because they're ranked in the top ten. We need to beat Wisconsin and Bo Ryan's team. Um, so in that game's at home. These guys got to find a way. Hopefully Anthony Lee is at least back by the Purdue game. Um, they should be able to catch uh, Nebraska going in the wrong direction right now, and that should be a good win that gets those guys back pumped up. But like you said, they had eight days off. Well, these games are – we're going to have, you know, four games within a span of, uh, you know, 12 days. Uh, these guys got to be ready to go. Um, and this is going to be getting them perfect tests. Uh, we talk about the, you know, time frame. You know, Big Ten tournament, you're playing games after one another. And then, of course, March Madness, you only got a day's rest between those first – uh, that those weekend games, those first opening rounds. So if you're not going home early, if the Ohio State Buckeyes even make it, this is it, this is it. They're on the bubble right now, in my opinion. If they don't finish strong here with a big win against Wisconsin and winning out, um, no matter what they do at the Big Ten tournament, I and Iowa State win the whole thing, they might be on the bubble and not even make it into the uh, tournament. 
Well, they definitely can't afford another bad loss. I think if they take care of their business and they play close with Wisconsin at home, they don't necessarily need to win it. Win two games in the Big Ten tournament, they're probably in. But uh, I could definitely see a scenario where they don't get there. Uh, this team all year, it's, it seems they've struggled to get off the starts. They don't, they're not a very good shooting team. And when D'Angelo isn't uh, on or at times for – you know, 15, 20 minutes has to disappear. There's nobody that's picking up the slack on this team. Um, I, I, we need more from Mark Loving, uh, I really believe, and uh, we'll see where it goes. But uh, I'm still encouraged. There's a, a lot of time. You know, you get you get hot at the end of the season. You beat Wisconsin, win the Big Ten tournament. All of a sudden, you're uh, a four or five seed and uh, a team nobody wants to face. So. Well, we talk about some of the other teams in Ohio. You got to give a shout out to the Dayton Flyers. They're tied for a four-way tie with the Atlantic Ten. Uh, the MAC tournament is coming up. You're going to see great action. We we saw Akron and Toledo, who were tied for first place. They had a great game um, a week ago. Uh, that's going to come down to who finishes well in the MAC tournament. So you could possibly see it in Toledo with um, former Ohio State Buckeye J.D. Witherspoon and that crew coming through. And, of course, you'll see uh, Powell and the Dayton Fires as they end up winning. Um, also, you could see Akron. Uh, you know, it, it, we're looking forward to seeing how Ohio finishes out well. Hopefully we get all three, uh, we get all the Ohio teams into the tournament. Also, too, looking at Cincinnati, possibly trying to win big in their tournament, conference tournament. It's going to be a real, uh, a real pressure cooker seeing how these teams finish going down the stretch. I want to mention some of the best freshmen and guards in the country right now. Uh, most of them are freshmen, and then we got one upperclassman, but this guy you'll definitely see in the next level, and that guy is Buddy Held of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Sooners, the shooting guard for them. Uh, if you just want to watch great basketball, these are the top five guys to me to watch and see how they do out here in the league right now. Uh, so Buddy Held, Oklahoma Sooners, he is a junior. But then, of course, one of my favorites to watch right now, a lot of people have their eyes on Okafer, but I think Tyus Jones, of the, the point guard for the Duke Blue Devils right now, is one to watch. And Hale Rodriguez of the Miami Hurricanes. Also, too, uh, the Ohio native Terry Rozier of the Louisville Cardinals, now the focal point of that offense with uh, Chris Jones being dismissed. And, of course, I mean, if you're not watching the Ohio State Buckeyes and the greatness that is D'Angelo Russell, then I don't know what. Uh, else to tell you. So those are my uh, guards to watch. I'll also give you uh, the big men on campus that I think you should be looking out for in the country. Uh, Josh Scott out in Colorado is one to look for. Um, you know, it, I don't know if Colorado makes the tournament, but this guy, we might see that guy making an uh, a impact at the next level. Uh, one of the other guys is uh, Raging Cajun, Sean Long down there. Uh, you know, he actually shoots 42% from three-point uh, line, and he averages 18 points a game. He's another guy to look out for. Uh, the Buckeyes will actually have one coming up who has played well of late, A.J. Hammonds of Purdue. Uh, we'll see him, like we said, on the schedule. And then one other guy to look out for is with Arkansas, who is ranked number 18 in the top 25, Bobby Portis. Um, he's averaging 12 and 6 last year. I mean, he, he's a pretty pretty good big 7-footer uh, down there for the 
Razorbacks, so the running hogs. Um, you know, we mentioned some of the other guys, of course, the Montez Sabonis, Carl Towns, uh, Jaleel Okafor, Willie Cauley-Stein, Dirk Harry Johnson. I mean, you know, those are the things. And then your team, uh, Arizona, the Wildcats have two guys I really like, uh, bigs, uh, Brandon Ashley, who's a, a undersized 6'8 guy, um, and then, of course, Caleb Tarzuski who is the seven-footer, uh, they bang, and that, that's what makes the Wildcats successful. So those are some of the big men out there to keep an eye on. And uh, if you're, you're, you're heating up trying to get a little, do a little research for college basketball in the brackets, that's who you want to be trying to take an eye out for, uh, you know, and, and getting a good look at those guys to see, you know, so you can do your brackets and be a little more informed. Love all those guys and uh, ones that's, one that stuck out, though, Tyus Jones, the performance he put up against North Carolina uh, was crazy good, and it seems like the bigger the moment, the better he is. Uh, so watch as he uh, matures through the tournaments, uh, both the ACC and the NCAA. And then uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't also mention, uh, when we're talking about the bigs, the big guy out in Wyoming, Larry Nance Jr., uh, son of uh, Larry Nance. He lights it up every day for Wyoming and uh, is uh, very rarely talked about nationally. And I will say this, too. On Tyus Jones and Jaleel Okafor, it reminds me, you love the comparison. This one reminds me of Mike Conley Jr. and Greg Oden, uh, the freshman tandem for the Ohio State Buckeyes that actually went to a national championship. Because of that tandem, folks didn't see the greatness of Mike Conley until he got to, of course, lead the Memphis Grizzlies to being playoff West Western Conference playoff perennial uh, challengers. Um, you know, a friend of mine told me, my friend JC told me, he's like, you know, Mike Conley's actually the best player on this team, and I, I looked at him I'm like, no, Greg Oden, you know, the big. He's like, no, Mike Conley's more skilled. He's the one who makes that team go. And you mentioned that game against the, the North Carolina with Tyus Jones. He he won that game for uh, Duke, and to be a freshman to step up like that, um, and I think, like you said, you're just going to see more of that going down the tournament. I think Tyus Jones might actually, and it's going to sound blasphemous right now, he might end up being the best player at the next level, better than uh, Okafor. Here's one more blasphemous. If Duke wins the national title, he might be the most outstanding player of the tournament. No, I can see that. I, I mean, you just – it, I, I, you know, I mean, Tyus Jones, we talked about Tyler Ellis, and even D'Angelo Russell. Um, we're seeing the guard renaissance, and also with the bigs, too, that I mentioned. You know, college basketball, as much as people dump on it for being one and done in that whole situation, we're seeing some great things in college basketball right now. We have the juggernaut that is Kentucky, but if you're really watching these games, you're, you're seeing some great players, and you're going to see some great talent starting to matriculate to the NBA, and it actually will make the NBA better. So it's going to be a great thing coming for all, all levels of basketball. You know, since you mentioned it, you know, the one-and-done role, it's a shame because college basketball was so great being able to watch the rivalries grow up, you know, watching Patrick King play four years and have to go after uh, Ralph Sampson. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it would be nice if we could at least get two years. Uh, I'm all for that. And uh, as far as the one-year one freshman uh, in eligibility role that the Big Ten has been floating out there in a couple other conferences. Uh, I, I can't see a scenario where one conference would step out without every other conference. So um, don't worry too much about that. Uh, I can't see them uh, imposing that and in, in it being uh, something that you could bring back. It's almost like trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. And that's the point to me. We've already done away with the rule. You should have kept the rule when it was in place, um, 
you know, they, they, they just done a bad job with it because you can't make it so for one decade or one generation of players that then another generation has to have it a different way. It's just not, it's not fair to the game. Uh, you know, it, and it changes, it, it changes the quality of the game. So, you know, the, we ended up losing as fans when that kind of thing happened and we play fast and loose with these rules here. Um, right now, I think it's going to be fine. I think we're seeing talent develop a little bit better uh, as, as we're adjusting to the way the rules are now. And uh, like I said, I mean, with, if we're talking guard play, if we're talking, you know, big man, um, you're going to see that come back to the game. And also, too, with the with the new way that the you know, the kid at North Carolina, Jackson, reminds me of Kevin Durant. Um, just you see a 6'11", you know, stringy-built kid, but that has all the tools to shoot outside, take it inside, rebound, I mean, and block shots. You know, you, you, so you'll see that, too. And it's just great. It's, like I said, it's great for the game. And moving forward, it's just better basketball for all the fans out there. Well, we gave you the team to watch what's, what we think is J-Fool. Who are you thinking are, and we're not going to hold to it, we'll do it on the next big college basketball show, but give us what you think the top four might end up being uh, when we talk about number one seeds coming up for March Madness. All right, as of right now, Kentucky's my one overall. Um, I, I think UVA is too banged up, and down the road they're not going to be one of the one seeds. Uh, I don't see anybody giving Gonzaga a chance. So they're my number two one seed. Uh, I think Duke is now in the top four. Uh, so they're going to be my third number one. And I think Wisconsin is going to end up winning the Big Ten tournament, getting healthy, and Wisconsin will be the last number one seed. It will be huge for the Big Ten, uh, definitely. I will start with Kentucky, of course, will be number one. Even if they do lose a game, we know that's pretty much locked in. I then will go ahead and link in that out west team with Gonzaga with a pretty easy road in their conference, not saying anything against it. But, I mean, they're playing well, too, and they have the talent to definitely uh, win it all. Um, I do think the ACC will have a team, but I think it will be Duke. I don't think it will be Virginia. I think Virginia will suffer a couple losses um, going through the end of its schedule, and then also in the ACC tournament, we might see them with an early exit. Um, I'm just not high on that Virginia team. I wasn't high on them last year. If I and I was wrong last year, I might be wrong again this year. But I'm willing to. I'll take a two-year gamble. If they make a believer out of me in two years, then next year I'll never say anything bad about Virginia and the Cavaliers. Uh, my fourth team is going to be a shocker but it won't be the Wichita State Shockers. I think maybe Northern Iowa slips in there. If they can push out past this weekend and push out undefeated uh, with the regular rest of their regular season, I can't see a reason why the North, uh, Northern Iowa Panthers wouldn't get that spot besides the uh, small market bias that might uh, outlie out there. If not to me, then it will be a Big 12 team. Whoever finishes um, and wins that Big 12, whether we saw Kansas lose, but – it could be Kansas, could be um, Iowa State getting that last spot for the Midwest. Um, and I, I think that's how the top four will shake out, in my opinion. So that way it's, it's still represented by all the areas, um, and you still uh, get to put those teams in different uh, regions. So, Really interesting that we both had our top four. Three were the same, uh, and neither one of us had a Big 12 team in our uh Final four, number one seed. Uh, just goes to show how deep college basketball is. Uh, I suppose thinking the Big Twelve conference is the best conference, um, but maybe not necessarily having the, uh, that team up top. Uh, so, like I said, it's going to be an interesting uh, 
round of 64, 32, 16, 8, 4, and 2 and 1 because uh, there's a lot of parity right now in college basketball. A lot of these smaller teams with seniors that uh, have been there know the system that can play versus some of these big-name schools. They're playing a lot of freshmen, so uh, it kind of balances that playing field and looks for a lot of upsets here in uh, the early rounds. There's no question. There's no question. I think it's going to make – I mean, nobody's going to be able, besides Kentucky running the game, but if you're playing in the March Madness pools, you know that's not how you can just get points. You're going to have to pick some other winners. And it's going to be interesting to see how folks do uh, with they picking the games. If it's uh, Notre Dame going up against the Wichita State, if you got Villanova going up against West Virginia, or if you got SMU trying to knock out a big boy early in, like, a, a Sweet 16 game if they're up against Duke or something like that. I mean, we're going to see some great matches come turn. So we finally check in with you with college basketball. I wanted to give you some of our thoughts, and then we end with a special little homage to John Havlicek. If you don't know Hondo, He's a he's a favorite player and one of the players that uh, I have always liked, and I think we both uh, have been so happy to learn the history of him and with not only uh, his great days with the Boston Celtics, but his Ohio roots. Being from Martins Ferry, Ohio, um, you know, played at Bridgeport High School, but then, of course, went on to the Ohio State University, and this was before the one and done, so he played all four years for the Buckeyes. Uh, and, I mean, historic, historic career, you know, won a national championship with the Buckeyes. And you can't say enough when you see the tape and see the way that he handles the ball. You see, like, you know, he's compared to some of the greatest dribblers of all time. Um, he, of course, is in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, but he is now being elected into the National College Basketball Hall of Fame. And I think it's a long time coming for him. Havlicek also probably the greatest sixth man in NBA history. Uh, just came off the bench and would light it up and, you know, was one of the mainstays and the big pieces in those dominant Boston Celtics eras. Yeah, he's better remembered for his career with the Boston Celtics than he was for Ohio State, but, you know, this is with an Ohio bias, so we pay homage to the great Hondo, John Havlicek. You want to sign off? Or you just want me to close that one? Just close that. All right, that has been our college basketball check-in show, uh, our college basketball preview show. Wanted to check in around the b-ball world. I don't know what it's. All right, that has been our college basketball podcast. We will be checking in with you around the conference tournament time, and of course, we'll have a huge March Madness special for you. Uh, we're not going to tell you how to fill out your brackets, and I'm not going to give away my uh, secrets, but you'll hear the history of one of the best winners of all time in college basketball March Madness history myself, and also we will have the input of Jake and also maybe a couple special guests to give you some of the insight that you need when you're picking the games. Don't just put your finger in the air and let the wind help you decide. We want to give you the details that you need for some of the matchups. So we're very excited about March. We love the madness, and we will see you next time on With an Ohio Bias. We will talk to you next time on With an Ohio Bias. As always, enjoy basketball and go crazy for March.
it. We're gonna keep it real short on the uh, on the Browns because I'm gonna get too heated. I am disgusted with these guys. By the way, <laughs> so I want to go. I want to go Cavs, then I want to go Browns. I'll do a quick LSD. Um, we'll go Blue Jackets, and then we'll go MMA. So we'll close right. that out. <laughs> and <laughs> what I say disgusted. I'm sorry, but I'll be screaming at the top of my lungs. Like so, I don't want to go there. Yeah, for sure. Right. We don't have the energy and we don't have the time. So, <laughs> this is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. Show 35, we are show 35 unfrozen. We're bringing you the heat of the sports world. I am Demetrius. I am D. Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to Columbus, and we're bringing you the sports you care about. All right, show 35, we're talking, of course, the hottest team in the NBA, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, we'll be giving you some NBA news, and we'll be talking about what we are looking at with this Cleveland Cavaliers team that is still streaking. We then, of course, will talk all things Cleveland Browns, new logos, new colors, and what our thoughts on those two developments were. Then we will, of course, give you our two-minute Liverpool Football Club update. Can Liverpool ever lose again? Then we will take a break, come back with your Columbus Blue Jackets, and then we will talk uh, all things MMA, steroids, and fight. This is with an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with Dan Jake. We will see you coming back talking the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're back and we're talking Cleveland Cavaliers. We're a couple games removed after the All-Star break and everything feels awesome. That's what I should name the show. Well, no, everything's not awesome. Um, we're talking Cleveland Cavaliers. Everything is really awesome. You heard the music. Uh, you know, when we think about the Cleveland Cavaliers and what they're doing right now, there's only two words that I can use. Championship run. Yeah, all the pieces are in place. The latest Kendrick Perkins uh, added on, uh, you know, gives us four big men now that uh, I, I feel comfortable with. Uh, you know, he, David Griffin went out and, and got rim protectors, you know, and he went out and he, he got rid of Dion and got brought in a guy who's re-energized in J.R. Smith. So it seems like everything's falling into place, and knock on wood, uh, we'll just uh, – hopefully continue to grow together as a team. David Blatt seems to, you know, we talked about winning is the greatest deodorant. Uh, we haven't heard too much about uh, anyone wanting to fire David Blatt. So I, I think, like we said, the patience is starting to pay off. We're seeing the progress. Uh, LeBron's energized and all things are good. And we get uh, a couple big matchups against some Western Conference powers coming up. And 
we'll see right where we're at here shortly. Well, we know where we're at in the East. We are on the verge of what we have kind of predicted coming. Uh, the Cavs are on their way, marching to the two seed. Uh, they had a beatdown of the Washington Wizards. I mean, 30-point, you know, they, well, they beat the Washington Wizards. Um, 37. 37-point <laughs> victory over the Washington Wizards. Uh, then you saw, of course, the spirited game with the New York Knicks that ended up with a double-digit victory as well, they, and J.R. Smith's revenge with the double-pump reverse dunk. Um, we see the Cavaliers coming out with the energy. We kind of wanted to see that last night before the All-Star break, but, hey, everybody deserves a vacation. If we get a championship, I'm all fine with it. I'm not going to lament over a Bulls loss uh, before the All-Star break. Because uh, so, now the Cavs, they're, they're blowing out the teams of the East. Um, and like you said, they got the Western Conference coming up. And then we had another great win against the Pistons, which they were down by 15 points. Uh, and then they showed the, the they showed the heart and the determination to fight their way back and then win that game by double digits. So, um, you know, it, it's one of these things. This Cavalier team now, you say the addition of Kendrick Perkins, they got the big that we have been saying since summertime. David Griffin, maybe uh, if anybody is not looking at him as executive of the year, then they need to be slapped. Uh, the Cavaliers are headed full steam ahead. The championship run is in full effect, and we march to the, see the best team in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors. We will see then the uh, pesky Pacers, the Indiana Pacers again, uh, the Houston Rockets, and then we will see um, uh, the uh, Raptors and Hawks after a game with the Celtics. So the Cavs will be tested. We will see what they're proven of, and we're talking about a stretch of, you know, tough games. we got six games in – almost nine days that we'll see the Cavs play some of the best talent in the NBA, and we will know what we have with these Cavaliers. But I'm telling you right now, I'm feeling pretty good about the Cavaliers' chances. I think the thing that's being – well, obviously it's a huge key, but it's been the most overlooked and underrated is uh, how they're playing defense, especially the guards. Kyrie is – his defense has improved so much in the last 35, 40 games. It's incredible. And J.R. Smith's a, a very solid defender. I'm pleasantly surprised. I knew he could defend a little bit, but he's better than I even thought. Um, you know, and, and Kevin Love is, is seemed re-energized. And it goes back to what I harp on. It, it, defense is so much about effort. And then the rest of the stuff works itself out. The trust, the knowing the rotations, the other stuff uh, that is important. But it, it, you got to have the one-two, and that goes with defense. That goes with rebounding, and we're seeing the effort every night, day in or night in, night out, um, with this team. Whether it be a game against uh, the Atlanta Hawks or a game against the Washington Wizards or a game against uh, someone like the Philadelphia 76ers. Well, that's what I love. They flipped that switch against the Detroit Pistons. They said, you know, we're not going to lose that game because I, I was, I was almost getting to the point where it's like. You know, don't go down and just give up. And they turn that corner with about five minutes to go in the third quarter, and you could just feel it. Like you say, they got it going on the defensive end. And we saw another great eight, eight three-point game from Kevin Love. So, um, you know, but he also had double-digit rebounds. Like you said, he's using his fouls now. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry the guy goes sprawling out sometimes or he's trying to take charges, but that's what you want to see from Kevin Love. Is he going to be sliding his feet and, like, cutting somebody off and stealing the ball and taking the coast to coast? Probably not. But, you know, hacking somebody if they come to the lane, being a little tougher on defense, that's all you want, and that's all you can ask for uh, as far as you said, like you said, the effort out there. Um, just really uh, can't say enough about what we're seeing from this Cavs team. Shumpert's hitting from threes. 
uh, you know, Mozgov is just playing above what anybody thought this guy had. And, you know, I'm loving every minute of it. And we know what Kendrick Perkins can do. He can finish around the rim, and he's not going to let anybody go by him without hitting the ground hard. You, you made a great point, too. And it's not, so, it's not even the D as far as points and, and stopping points. It's almost like your offense comes from defense. Easy baskets come from defense. Transition, your flow, uh, you know, just all that stuff. And, and when you're stagnant and you're worried about scoring points and offense and offensive sets, and then you you got to get back and play in transition defensively, it takes a lot out of your team. So defense is so important, and especially as we get into the months of uh, April and May and June uh, as we crown a champion. Yeah, and this is much CTV. We've watched a lot of bad basketball over the last five years, ladies and gentlemen. So you've got to get to a TV. Make sure you're watching every one of these Cavs games because it's really something special to see. And definitely if it ends in a culmination of the Cavs hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy. Um, winners of the last 16 of 18, the, the Cavs are, are on their way to something really special here. And, you know, when you see the schedule that's coming up, the best thing is they had all the distractions, whether it was is Kevin Love fit here, is he leaving, and David Black, good coach, uh, uh, is LeBron playing tough enough, what's going on? Like you said, all the pieces are in place now. The team is – you see, like the one thing that was telling the media on the sideline was Kendrick Kirkland's first game. The guy only got – it was a great pass from Kyrie, a pocket pass. But, you know, you saw that from Kyrie to Perkins, and he already was laughing and having a good time on the sideline with these guys. So it's a welcoming atmosphere. Kendrick Perkins, uh, great comments, even when Shumpert and Smith came. And something you got to say, uh, you know, there's a love fest going on with J.R. Smith and David Black, but I can't knock David Black because J.R. Smith is playing better than I expected, better than anybody that I saw say anything about him. Maybe Jalen Rose was the only person that said J.R. Smith would be excellent with the Cleveland Cavaliers, but I didn't think he would. He's playing above, I think, he's playing at such a high level that it's so enjoyable to watch him, you know, especially that game against New York. I mean, you know, it was almost like he was exercising demons with those ducks and getting out there and running the floor. Yeah, a motivated J.R. Smith is a different player from a guy who's just playing basketball to earn money. Uh, We saw what he did in the year. He won the six-man award and the Knicks went to the playoffs. Uh, And then we saw him this year with the Knicks and uh, just – really much disinterested. Uh, he's definitely recharged and he's uh, playing dynamite basketball. Let me ask you this. Is this the best roster the Cavaliers have ever had? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can answer that question very quickly. I don't know you have to think about okay. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we talk about when you talk a full roster down, I mean, absolutely to me. Um, just because it's a team. I mean, we laid it out there in that Cavs blueprint. We've been talking about it all on our podcast. This is a team we want to see. Mozgov and Kendrick Perkins, these are the exact guys that we said bring in. I mean, you know, uh, only thing is that it's not a knock against Delato, but you might want a better backup point guard, but are you going to get a better starting uh, one through five on that, you know, one through one through like nine players, the rotation, I don't think we could get uh, a better uh, group of talent. You know, the Cavs teams with Doherty and them had a one through seven, maybe eight guys. Even in the Tyrone Hill days when he was here, I liked Tyrone Hill as a player, and he was breaking his role, rebounding, and hitting that uh, mid-range jumper to uh, free throw line extended. 
But when we talk about, you know, you bring a guy like Kendrick Perkins off this, just a guy to play backup. We never had a backup center, even when we had Doherty. I mean, Tree Rollins, come on. You know, like, you never had a true backup center. We've got Moskov and Perkins. And I'm telling you, like, this, the roster does include, even though he's hurt, it includes Verichow. So he's still on that roster. So when you say, is this the best cab roster to me? Yes. And then the other thing I was thinking about, uh, I I think it's being a little bit underplayed and maybe understated how big of a deal Mozgov was to David Blatt in having someone that he's coached before and can kind of translate from a player to a player rather than David Blatt having to, uh, you know, speak to all these new players and, you know, all these players looking at him as an unproven guy who's never coached in the NBA. I, I think Mozgov had a big, big uh, part in David Blatt's uh, more recent success now since uh, since he's been on, he was on the, the Twitter hot seat, let's say. Well, let's see, let's say this. I mean, honestly, you know what that speaks to, though? The guys are buying in, and it's not so much LeBron was going to buy in or whatever, but, you, you, you know, we tweeted it out. LeBron James said that they, this team could win a championship. That's all we wanted to hear from day one when he got here. He didn't say that in summer when he said he was coming back. He didn't say anything about championship. He said it was going to take a long time. This guy did right. championship, and we're, we're in halfway through the season, you know, I mean, a little past halfway through the season. Now, the one thing you bring up with that is it's not so much to me that I think Mozgov is like this center who's a, 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 a Shaq type or something like that. He's lead, But I think he led with the effort example, and I think it's a – there's an energy level. I think Kendrick Perkins, he chose to come here over going to play with the Clippers and Doc Rivers. Think about that. They needed Perkins right now with uh, Blake Griffin being out. So it's something to be said about the culture that has been changed with the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's something to be said about the energy that Mozgov plays with. The way he runs the floor and every play he plays hard, he's playing because, yes, he likes David Black, but he's also happy to be in this situation. And I think that has, uh, uh, you know, like, Pass through to J.R. Smith with the energy that he plays with. Yeah, he still does some of the knucklehead stuff he does and takes a bad shot here and stuff like that, but Shumpert comes out with energy. You see now Kyrie and, and LeBron are playing at a higher level with their energy levels, you know, if it's on defense. And even Kevin Love, these guys are enjoying playing with each other. They're developing the chemistry that we knew that it was going to take time to build, but it's becoming, like you said, like playing with LeBron, it's becoming easier. Those passes LeBron was making in that Detroit Pistons game. Um, a couple of them didn't hit the Smith and Shumpert just because they kind of were a little off their spot. But he hit a pass to James Jones, who knows where, you know, he likes, like LeBron likes you to be on the court. And he had a slap back pass, two slap back passes to Kevin Love for three. That's the game. When you see him being able to play his game that way, you know, yeah, he gets frustrated at times. I think he was more frustrated at the beginning of the season. But that was, that's what LeBron, and, of course, we, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention him passing Scottie Pippen uh, as a forward all-time assist in the NBA, that record. But that's the game that he came out playing in high school in the college, in the college into the Cleveland Cavaliers with and taking that down his talent to South Beach. But now we see it return to play with the Cleveland Cavaliers where it belongs. And, I mean, the dividends will probably equal in a championship. I, I can't stop saying championship just because I believe it now. I watched that Pistons game, and it, it clicked to me in my mind. There's no question that this team can win. And, of course, we're, it, it's sad to say there's so many people hurt in the NBA. But, of course, I mentioned Blake Griffin. Now uh, Derrick Rose has torn his meniscus. He's out, so the Chicago Bulls, even though they still will be a formidable team. But, um, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers, it's about the way they're playing that makes them the best team coming out of this East. No no disrespect to what Atlanta has done. But, you know, Melo's out with his injury. Kobe's out with his injury. 
all eyes are going to be turning to the Cleveland Cavaliers because, like you always say, they have the best player on the planet, but now they might have possibly the best team on the planet. Well, and we talk about the playoffs. You know, playoffs are so much about matchups and playing half-court offense. And this team, as constructed now, is so versatile, and it's such a matchup nightmare for most teams. Uh, it's it's going to be really interesting come playoff time. But I think there's another gear here uh, when when we get into that playoff type basketball. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. So if you can't tell, we're very uh, happy about the Cleveland Cavaliers. The high expectations are going out the window because this is a great basketball team now, and they're only going to get uh, they're only going to get greater as the time goes on. Uh, definitely make sure, like I said, it's must-see TV. As always, go Cavs, Cavs Nation, La Familia, love Cleveland. Championship run in full effect, Cleveland. Um, we move on, and we got to talk about the other team in the city of Cleveland, and that would be the Cleveland Browns, who unveiled their new logo that everybody was anticipating. We talked about it on our last show. Um, Jake, your thoughts on the Cleveland Browns' new logo and Dog Pound moniker? Well, uh, tough segue <laughs> going from the Cavs to the Browns. Um, hopefully some of this Cavs stuff can rub off on that franchise. Um, you know, I, I don't really care about the logos. Uh, I, the only thing I cared about is I wanted the helmet to pretty much stay the same. It has the, the shades a little darker. The uniforms are going to be drastic. Uh, we've got a big new scoreboard and Wi-Fi and everything else except for a freaking winning product. We've got nothing on the field right now, uh, and, and I'm really – I'm just sick of all the distractions and the, the, the stuff that's on the peripheral. Um, it's it, Just start winning some football games, and then you're going to see people uh, back, up, back you up and buy merchandise and, and do all those things because it's just been too long, and it's just been too much of this sort of stuff. Yeah, you, you talk about the, the Browns uh, the start the, with a winning product. Well, stop losing in the press conferences with these media campaigns and this, this hype machine that these guys want to have. I mean, I don't understand why you unroll a campaign about a new logo and then you come out and it's the same thing just with a different shade of orange. Let's be honest, in the Browns face mask. Nobody would even care if you hadn't hyped it up, you know. And Alex Shiner coming out saying that, you know, People want to know we what answers to certain questions that we'll never get answers to. But, you know, these guys want to keep saying the rhetoric, and that's what upsets people, is that you try to, you know, put lipstick on a pig and tell us that it's something new. You know, that, that that's what upsets people. We're not stupid and we're not sheep. Now, when it comes to paying the ticket prices, you got to hike the tickets up 50%. Hey, yeah, because we love the Cleveland Browns, so you can get away with that. You can get away with a logo change. Just don't put it out like you're doing something uh, brand new. And my other thing is stop with the dog pound stuff when it comes to acting like there's a dog pound left or anything like that. The dog pound is our fans and, our, you know, the way we describe the fan nation and whatnot, but there's no more dog pound in that stadium. This guy made a statement saying the whole stadium is now dog pound. I literally wanted to go out to Korea and smack this guy across the face because that's what he's doing to the fans and the real dog pound. They used to be on that hill where the fence was, rooting the Browns on every Sunday. So, you know, don't don't say that kind of stuff. Stop with the using the words tradition and things like that. You don't care. You're not getting fan input. Just do whatever you're going to do. You're probably not even going to be around here in four or five years, which is 
you know, the cycle of what happens. So I'm just tired of that. I'm, t- I'm tired of these guys trying to market a, a situation. Like you said, let's talk about winning. Ray Farmer apologized for his texting controversy, but we still don't know what we're doing as far as what they're looking at at the combine. These guys haven't made a decision, no news on the Browns' un, uh, unrestricted free agents. If we're talking at the top of Rubin, Buster Screen, Jabal Sheard, Deshaun Gibson, Brian Hoyer. We don't have a quarterback besides the one that's in rehab right now, Johnny Manziel, Jordan Cameron, and, of course, our punter, Smith and Lanning. So uh, it, there's a lot of things going on with the Cleveland Browns that actually want to know what we're doing. And, of course, yeah, now we're hyping up the uniforms that come out on April 14th, and they got the hype machine going again for that. You know, folks, like you said, want a winning product. We care about winning. We don't care about these minor stadium renovations. If you don't renovate something, put some bigger TVs in the, in the, in the club level. You know, I mean, you got 19-inch TVs in the club level. It makes no sense in old projection-style TVs. I mean, do something like that. If not, stop bothering me with this garbage. You know, that's all I'm saying. And, I, you know, I, but thank God for the Cleveland Indians and thank God for the Cleveland Cavaliers because at least I can turn my attention to that. And of course, the undisputed national champion of college football that almost damn near a better run organization than the professional one that is uh, uh, attributed to the Lake Erie. So, you know, that's where I stand on it. Oh, yeah, Roger Goodell says stick with Jimmy Haslam. He's building a great foundation. So I got the commissioner of the league, of course, telling me that the Browns are heading in the right direction. I don't even understand that either because that guy's a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the opposite of what he says generally is true. Uh, the the thing that that just bothers me the most about all this, and, it, and there's an exact quote from Alex Schneider, and it's been just treating us like we're we're stupid and we're idiots and we're not paying attention. You know, Alex Schneider said fans were clamoring for drastic changes to the uniforms. There is not a single bit of truth to that. I've not heard that. I've not seen it. I'm pretty connected into social media. Um, and, and quite frankly, uh, if anything, the, the Browns fans rallied and fought for th- to keep the uniforms and the colors, and, ran, and uh, Randy Lerner wanted to keep the things the same. So, you know, I, I get the fact that you want to market and you want to come up with something new and fresh, and I'm fine with it. But just quit telling us that – this is what we've been asking for and, and making us come off to sounding like uh, we're worried about this stuff that, uh, that your marketing people are worried about. And it's one, it's one more simple thing with this, you know, and you talk about fighting for the colors to keep it in. They, they, these guys have no idea. Alex Shiner doesn't know. And this is what we've said a time and time before. If it's talking about the X's and O's and things like that, these guys should have to go back and look through the have to over the last 10 years. They should have to go back and look through the history of what's happened with the Cleveland Browns over the last 10 to 20 years since they came back since 99 and understand what that really means. Then maybe they can start using the words tradition, using the words culture. Because as far as it to me, it's, it's as empty as, you know, somebody's trying to sell me Swampland in Florida. Um, you know, I, I was a little kid. You know, my mom took me down to the rallies for the Cleveland Browns to keep the colors and everything and try to keep the team. I was on live on five with Big Dog and those things. So I, it hits home with me, you know. And I was, you know, in my young, you know, uh, formative years, 10, 11 years old during that time. So that, that's the whole thing. But I'm not – I don't want a pity party. All I want is a winning football team. I mean, and so that, it, it comes to that. Um, you know, there will be plenty of time because, like you said, Alex Shiner wants to, you know, and I just don't – let me just say this and I can end it on that. I don't like Alex Shiner. So it is – 
something that you probably see. I'm tweeting at the guy now and then. I, I just don't care for it. I don't care for it at all. I don't care for him. I don't care for what he's doing for this football team. So that that might be where we leave that at. Um, Cleveland Browns unveiled their new uniforms April 14th. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned. You know what it makes me want to do more than anything else is go buy up all the old Browns gear so that I have it. Yeah, no, I'm going to be hitting the thrift stores hard, try to get my hands on the good stuff. So that's all it's going to come down to. And I think that's what every Browns fan is going to do. They'll probably support, you know, GVR and, you know, uh, We Bleed Ohio and CLE clothing T-shirt. We'll buy that kind of stuff. But I, I, I think the Browns are going to see, you know, their ticket prices I mean, their their merchandise uh, go down a little bit. Now, unless these are the best uniforms that have ever come out in the history of the NFL. So, you know, and uh, and here's the thing with that: the odds and history is not in their favor. That's a great point. I'll be very interested to see what the Brown sales of merchandise are versus other teams that changed their uniforms the year before. Because uh, I, I think you're right. I think there's going to be more backlash than embracement for sure until there's a winning product on the field. I think Browns fans are frustrated enough to say, you know what, give me a winning team and then I'll start buying your gear. No question. No question. So, uh, you know, we'll be covering, of course, when the Browns release their jerseys. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about that. And we'll talk about any roster moves that actually happen if the Browns uh, ever get off of their heads and actually do something with the, uh, the players that we mentioned before. So, as always, go Browns. Dog power. We bark forever. Believe, Lance. We move to the two-minute Liverpool Football Club update. Liverpool has been on fire, undefeated uh, in the FA Cup. Uh, they've been undefeated in their last two contests. It is the FA Cup against Crystal Palace, a great win, and, of course, the great 2-0 victory against Southampton, the big matchup coming up against Man City, but the great play of Jordan Eade and also, of course, you know, with Mario Balotelli, the Liverpool Football Club has been more exciting to watch than ever uh, Shout out to Count No, Gerard, just loving everything, Liverpool. And, of course, Man City will be a big win if we can get past them in the Premier League. Uh, so make sure you're tuning in Sunday for that big, big matchup. Uh, and then they will see uh, Burnley FC. And, of course, they're coming back in the FK quarterfinal so, uh, against Rovers. So that's what we're looking forward to, Liverpool. And uh, we'll be covering it here on with an Ohio bias, and you'll see us tweet during the game. So LFC family, you never walk alone. We go again, Reds. Make us dream. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans of D and Jake. We'll be coming back talking all things MMA, but first we'll be talking about your Columbus Blue Jackets. This, we will see you on the other side. I got too fired up about those Browns there. I knew it was coming. I hate that guy. I hate him, though. You've heard me talk about that guy before. I didn't like him before. That's two of us. I, I think he's just a complete con artist. He's a snake oil salesman. Exactly. But stop, like you said, stop saying the fans are clamoring for shit. Like, nobody, like, right. we're clamoring for a win. That's it. Everything else, you can play in pink tutus. I don't give a shit. We could be pink tutu week. Jesus. Win a fucking football game. All right, it's time to hit the ice, ladies and gentlemen. We're back talking your Columbus Blue Jackets. And we're coming off a three-game losing streak with the CBJ, um, but have been gathering some points. Uh, it was a tough loss to the Rangers. And then to see uh, – we we saw Fosberg, uh, you know, struggle a little bit up in Buffalo against the Sabres. Um, NHL trade deadline coming fast. I'm furious at us. Uh, some talk about Jay Sosniewski, but he is up to his play trying not to leave Columbus. So, uh, Jake, what are you thinking about this Columbus Blue Jackets team right now? 
Forsberg played uh, worse than that. Um, he was he was, I was trying to be kind. And, I was trying to be yeah, kind. Yeah, and uh, you know um, that loss to Buffalo was the death blow. Uh, I think it's all over at this point. You're going to get Bob's back probably uh, Sunday or, or early in the week next week, but um, I, I just think there's too much ground to gain at this point. You're 11 points uh, out of the last playoff spot, which Boston holds, and I think there's five or six teams in between us um, running out of time. Um, I'm here to, unfortunately, uh, start the funeral for this year's Columbus Blue Jackets. Well, we saw the anniversary of the the 30th anniversary of Miracle on Ice, uh, 35th anniversary of Miracle on Ice, and I believe in miracles, so I'm going to stick by the Blue Jackets just for a little bit longer to see what they do in this next little stretch. Uh, they got the Canadians, the New Jersey Devils, and then they're at the flightless birds of uh, you know uh, that city in Pennsylvania. Um, I think maybe they get something together. At least we get to see. Uh, got in a fight with uh, Crosby the last time Blue Jackets was playing with Penguins. Dubinsky. Brandon Dubinsky. Brandon oh, Dubinsky. Yeah, 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 Dubinsky does. But at least, at least in that Penguins game coming up, you know, maybe we get to see Dubinsky well on Sidney Crosby a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been just, it's been such a tough year for the Jackets uh, with the injuries and everything else. And, you know, this – you mentioned the trade deadline. This draft coming up is absolutely loaded. It's one of the better drafts in years. And, uh, you know, you hate to say it, but it might be time to sell uh, and take a look at moving some pieces for draft picks at this point uh, and, uh, and get yourself lined up and ready to go for a fresh run at it next year. Yeah, well, definitely you can always build some continuity moving to the end of the year, getting your line shored up. Uh, and it will be great to see uh, Sergey Bobrovsky, see Bob back on the ice uh, healthy. Uh, but, yeah, and I've got to give a shout-out to Curtis Bacalady. He had played well in a little bit of stretch, but just maybe stretched a little too thin uh, with the with the time frame. Uh, so, and like you said, four spurs uh, was just awful. Um, but we look ahead. We always carry the flag for the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> you got anything else on the CBJ? No, just absolutely. Uh, with Curtis McElhaney, he played his ass off for the last three weeks and uh, really kept us in it for a while. But uh, and you know, we just it caught up to us here. And uh, Buffalo was that was the that was a tough one to lose. You, we lost a lot of ground. It felt like when uh, when that happened. So, uh, but definitely hats off to Curtis McElhaney. He for as bad as he played the first time around for Bob's, he uh, picked it up and played uh, that much better. Well, as always, go CBJ. We are at the fifth line. Look for the uh, March of the Union Army. I know Kevin James Valentin is playing that, and when I see the details, we'll get him back on to talk about that and bring some great Blue Jackets guests on because if we're talking in the future, we definitely want to get the uh, best of the best out there. So we are the fifth line. Union Army stands as one. As always, go CBJ. We move on to the world of MMA, and we talk about the big news that came out of the UFC. You know, we talked about the steroids. And we had a little bit of an extended conversation about it between me and Jake, and we saw the UFC actually uh, apply some of the things that Jake had told me he should, he, they should go to. Uh, pretty much the UFC has come out with one of the sh- most stringent anti-doping plans in sports history. Uh, they have 
decided to donate. Uh, they have decided to dedicate multi-million. Uh, uh, they have decided to dedicate millions of dollars to year-round drug testing of any fighter on the UFC roster, and they're advocating for a four-year ban for any first-time offender. Right now, a first-time offender can be uh, suspended by commissions up to nine months, and so this would be an unprecedented style of suspension, trying to keep fighters from taking drugs, basically. Uh, your thoughts on what the UFC has done and how you think it will uh, impact the sports world? Well, I, I think for for fighting like this, uh, um, steroids and the competency of, of the event are a much, much bigger deal than within baseball or NFL or anything else. Uh, you know, if you allow your athletes to be questioned with their integrity of what they're putting into their bodies, you're getting a lot closer to pro wrestling than you're getting to actual athletic events. So I'm not saying at any level uh, this is. I'm just saying in public perception. And if you didn't come down hard and you didn't take this very serious stance, uh, you were in danger of, of probably losing a lot of fringe people and a lot of people that are interested in it, but are going to be turned off because of it and not knowing what these, what these guys are, uh, whether they're fighting clean or not. So uh, there's so many levels in this that affect one another uh, from, you know, other fighters uh, not being on it and a fighter being on it. So um, it was definitely a great first step. Uh, I thought they did the exact right thing. They came down hard and, uh, I think UFC will clean it up, and with the cooperation of the other uh, uh, federations and the other leagues, I think uh, UFC, or I mean MMA, is on its way back to being something that the credibility can't be questioned. Yeah, one of the big things to me is that uh, trying to impose that four-year ban on a fighter, I think that definitely would be the biggest deterrent because of uh, – Pretty much that's four years out of your career where you will not be able to earn money, at least at uh, the, with the UFC. So uh, to me, that has to be the most telling thing in this whole thing. The actual drug testing, I know uh, just the year-around thing, is, it makes it once, – once fighters get into it, I think after the first year, it'll be something that is such a mainstay that it'll be like everything else they do with their training. They'll just be used to it. I think it might be a little tough during the first year but because um, this will go into effect July 1st. Uh, but I think it'll be a great thing for the sport moving forward, like you said, in the future. So We look towards the big fights coming up, um, and I, we'll have a great thing on whatsnoiabias.com, the top ten fights uh, we're looking forward to it in uh, 2015. But we start with the one that's coming up this weekend, and if you're looking for a place to watch it in the Northeast Ohio area, stop nowhere else than Dave & Buster's CLE out in the Westlake area. Uh, we're talking about Ronda Rousey versus Castigano, the main event on UFC 184 in Los Angeles at the Staples Center. Uh, we know Ronda Rousey, the Bantamweight champion, uh, is finally fight. She's finally going to see the toughest competition that she's seen in Octagon. Both women uh, come in undefeated. We know Castigano had the injury, and then, of course, the death of her husband. It took some time off, but she came back with a vengeance in her last fight. Uh, and, of course, with a great victory. And we know she had a great victory over Misha Tate. So we're going to see Rousey match up with somebody that can actually match her striking, match her strength, match her wrestling, um, and just somebody that's an experienced, experienced mixed martial artist. Um, and that's Pat Pagano. And it's just going to be a great match. And it just can't miss this one. Also in that fight card, uh, you see two women's fights mainline this card. And the other fight is the debut of Holly Holmes, who is going to be fighting against 
Rocky Pennington, Raquel Pennington. So it's great for women's MMA, great for the UFC, but these are going to be two great matches. Also on that card, though, as a guy that I think is an up-and-comer is uh, Tony Ferguson. So, you know, it's a, it's a great it's a great fight card. And then you got Josh Kroscheck versus Jake Ellenberger on that card. So uh, And also Alan Jobine, who is one of the most skilled young fighters. Uh, it's a great fight card uh, coming up this weekend, so don't miss that one. Uh, some of the fights that we're going to be talking about, and you'll see the write-ups on uh, WithinOhioBias.com, Frank Ebert versus URI of Faber at the UFC Fight Night in Manila. Of course, you've got UFC 187 coming up in Vegas with John Jones versus Anthony Rumble Johnson. That fight card is stacked. And then the big one that was just announced, UFC 188 in Mexico City. Yes, it's happening. Cain Velasquez defending the title against against Fabricio Verdun. So uh, Ryan Bader versus Daniel Cormier was announced. But then, of course, the other big fight coming up would be Jose Aldo versus Conor McGregor. Uh, during UFC 189 Fight Week Vegas. So those are the fights we're definitely looking forward to. And then, of course, we'll look forward to seeing our Ohio's own heavyweight, the firefighter, Steve Abiyochis, get back in the ring against Mark Hunt at UFC Australia, which was announced. So uh, the Kiwi Mark Hunt gets to fight in his backyard down under, but we know Steve Abiyochis will be up to the challenge. Uh, so those are some of the great fights coming up UFC. Another great fight uh, this weekend, which is a great weekend of fighting, we got the Insignificant FC card coming up. On UFC Fight Pass, we saw a Chris Justino uh, cyborg getting the ring against Charmaine Tweet. So Ronda Rousey's also a grudge match that's coming down the course of the ring, and we know those anti-doping laws will be in effect for that one uh, uh, against uh, with Chris Justino if she gets to see Ronda Rousey. Um, then, of course, you got the great matchup in Bellator at 134 of um, King Mo versus Czech Congo. So some great fighting this weekend. Also on that card, we saw Michael Page step away, um, doing some weight-cutting issues, that kind of stuff. He had been on a tear through Bellator, but uh, definitely looking forward to, you know, seeing Czech Congo and King Mo a while go. Uh, with that, the other, other fight cards that are coming up that will be on our site that we'll talk about is uh, the one at Comerica Theater in Phoenix, March 28th, Justin Gates versus Luis uh, Palomino. Uh, at World Series Fighting 19. So that's what's going on in the world MMA. Happy about the UFC trying to clean it up, and we hope that this trickles through all versions of uh, MMA sports to keep the sport clean and keeping fighters healthy. MMA, hell yeah, Team MMA for life. As we close out the show today, we want to say congratulations to Daytona 500 winner Joey Logano. Jake, your thoughts on Joey Logano winning the Daytona 500 at the age of 22 years old, 24 years old, excuse me. Great accomplishment, young kid. Uh, I mean, he's been the top of uh, NASCAR drivers for uh, a few years now, and uh, he's got a long way to go still, and uh, this is a great feather in his cap to get him started towards possibly a legendary career. So, uh Hats off to Joey Logano. What a great race. Uh, unfortunately, it came down to that wreck at the end. and uh, But uh, definitely hats off. Uh, great job by Joey Logano. Yeah, it was a great article by Dan Wetzel. We put up uh, the Yahoo writer uh, talking about Joey Logano's road to becoming probably more recognizable than he's ever been with the winning the Daytona 500. He was almost homeless two years ago when he was at the age of 22 and uh, his his role through just racing and, and becoming, you know, a NASCAR driver now, you know, we mentioned him briefly on our NASCAR preview show, but definitely uh, he is a racer to watch uh, moving forward. I really put the jinx on the Bush brothers, didn't I, on the, on the pregame show. 
Yeah, no, I mean, well, you you just you just cut your own percentage of uh, having one of them win with fifty percent. That's all that was, yeah. And of course, we uh, Kyle Busch uh, was one of the first NASCAR drivers to ever be removed after the uh, thing came down. After uh, Kyle Busch was one of the first NASCAR drivers to be removed from the sport after the Delaware court found him guilty of a domestic violence. Charge. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that moves forward. If he will get a chance to be reinstated, we'll be monitoring that and how NASCAR handles that with Kurt Busch. It was Kurt, right? Not Kyle. I don't know. The one that starts with a K. They both start with a K. That has been with an Ohio bias. Uh, our podcast for this week, show 35. You want to sign off? Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care of one another. Be nice to one another. Unless they're wearing maize and blue. We thank you for listening. We appreciate every tweet, every favorite, every comment. Anyone and everyone who listens to this podcast, please share, like, and follow, email, and tweet us your thoughts, uh, even if you have to do so by uh, Carrier Pigeon, a la Mike Tyson style. Uh, agree, disagree, the discussion of our favorite teams is our passion and it fuels our fandom. Uh, we say a special salute to the medical professionals out there, uh, doctors, nurses, caregivers, anybody that eases the pain of those within, anybody that eases the pain of those in pain. We also say a prayer, a special prayer, and give our thoughts to the troops that are out there defending America's freedom, to the veterans that have returned, and also to those that we say a special prayer for those that might be behind enemy lines or missing in action. This is with an Ohio bias. As always, go Browns, go Cavs, roll tribes, MMA, hell yeah. Wrestling is real. As always, go CBJ. As always, go Bucks. OH. Ohio. All right, Indians, real quick. I was trying to tighten that up. I know it's going long. All right. We're going pitching rotation. We don't have to do lineup. We can just talk about the Indians, like how we think their scoring will be. Um, that will lead into their acquisitions and then uh, prospects. We're going to skip the, the Central Division talk and notable signings, so we'll just keep this to the Indians. We'll skip the Reds. Uh, we'll talk about the change of pace stuff, and then um, let's hit real quick uh, this possibly being in Scully's last year and mention the Josh Hamilton thing. That's what we can do another – we can we, – I don't, that's what I'm saying. We could keep it tight with it, just keeping it to the Indians. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, central cool. divisions, because that's, that's, that's stuff. Yeah, because we can mention that, like, in a baseball preview or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because we that's still got to talk about central division and all that other stuff. That's what I'm saying. We can mm. tighten it up, and this will be a shorter show. Boy. Okay. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and J, our Indian spring preview show. I am D, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to Columbus. We're talking baseball. We're talking tribe.
And in this Indians preview show, we're going to be talking about all things spring. We're just going to give a discussion on the pitching rotation, uh, where we see the lineup moving, uh, some position battles, Indians offseason acquisitions, and our prospects. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the new commissioner, Rob Manford, and, uh, of course, a quick look at the new MLB policy on the change of pace. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. We will see you on the other side talking the arms for the Cleveland Indians. That's why I don't know how long you want to go on to change your pace. That's what I was about to say. Gotcha. So I thought you probably feel strongly about that. You know. Yeah, we can. Uh, yeah, whatever you want to do with it. I mean, I'm not going to be very long talking about it. All right, that's fine. Who's, who the hell is going to play shortstop for us this year? Well, that's what we're going to get into right now. Yeah. All right, let's let's do this because I don't know who's going to play shortstop. All right, we're talking all things from the wigwam. Indians are out in Arizona. The pitchers and catchers have reported the full teams out there. Nick Swisher was even out early getting the ice on the knees. But we start with the arms and the pitching rotation. Uh, we know that we got the Cy Young winner, Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, Josh Chalman, Danny Salazar, TJ House, and we've got uh, a couple reclamation projects. Uh, we we got Gavin Floyd and Bruce Chen, uh, Indian sign. Those were the big Indians offseason acquisitions, and also uh, Brandon Moss when we get to talking about our hitting and our uh, defense. But we're talking pitching. What do you see this Cleveland Indians rotation looking like, Jake? Actually, I, I think it's going to be the strength of the team, uh, both the rotation and the bullpen. Um, I, I expect things to step up here from the young guys, from, from Bauer, from Salazar, from House. Uh, you're talking, we got the reigning Cy Young Award winner. Uh, and, and also, Cookie Carrasco has got to play a big role. Uh, he can't just be the flash of what we saw in the second half of last season. Uh, I, I think there's some question marks there, but I think with what I've seen in the track record and the, the flow of their career and the protection upward, I expect big things from our young guys this year and a solid uh, performance again from uh, the reigning Cy Young Award winner. Yeah, and also in that bullpen, we got Cody Allen, of course, uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, Mark Krasinski and Kyle Crockett. Uh, do the Indians have too many left-handers or uh, Mickey Calloway and Terry Francona got the uh, special uh, special uh, key to uh, making sure that uh, even though we only have a limited amount of right-handers that we'll be able to get the effective as a, as a staff? There's an old saying in baseball, you can never have enough left-handers. Um, they're, they're priceless. With the amount of uh, left-handed hitters in baseball uh, and the ability to go righty-lefty, righty-lefty, they just don't make a lot of left-handed people. So to find left-handed pitching and to have a depth and depth with it uh, is is great. Um, also, you got the bullpen, uh, Atchison and uh, Adams. So Shaw is another one. You mentioned C.C. Lee earlier. It, it's a lot of depth. I mean, these guys put up pretty good numbers last year, and and we'll talk about the the free agent pickups, but. I think this team was in a situation where they really didn't have too many positions to fill, and um, they weren't going to ever make a a big signing uh, and and handcuff themselves. So I'm pretty encouraged 
based on last year with uh, while we're talking about the pitching, uh, what what this team's capable of. Yeah, and uh, Zach McAllister too stepping into that bullpen role. Um, you know, I, I'm not worried about the pitching whatsoever. I think like just like last year, I felt this way, but I'm more encouraged uh, with our staff and uh, I'll trust in Mickey Calloway and Terry Francona with these young guys. I think it's going to be great watching these guys develop. That we're talking about Salazar and Bauer, seeing those two guys especially try to go to the next level. I mean, I think T.J. House was solid in some very difficult starts last year. Now, if he gets a spot in that rotation, I think that will settle him down a little bit better. Um, so I think the future is very bright, and I think it's a very manageable situation when we're talking about, you know, the ball coming across the plate. Yeah, um, and Josh talk- Tomlin also, who we haven't mentioned another last year, Josh Tomlin. When we talk about the uh, two acquisitions and the reclamation projects, we know with Scott Kazmer there after he left India, so maybe we can catch lightning in a bottle again. We know Gavin Floyd's coming off the two uh, elbow injuries uh, when he got hurt again with the Braves, um, and then Bruce Chen of the Royals um, and then Orioles. Uh, you know, he had a great year in 2013, you know, but uh, what can the Indians expect out of these guys? Are we just kicking the tires trying to see, like I said, catch lightning in a bottle? Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I think you're you're doing exactly that. Uh, you're taking some a little bit of risk with some guys who have some upside. You know, the surgeries with elbows and the way guys come back with elbow surgeries um, is amazing. So he's he's far enough removed from it. Uh, talking about Gavin Floyd, that uh, this would be the year I think that he would get back to his old self. Um, and then you know you're. With Chen, you know, you, you're a year removed from a really good season in 13. So there's no risk here, and you see how they work out, and it adds, like I said, depth and always looking for pitching depth, that's for sure. Well, one of the cool things about Bruce Chen, he was a great mentor in Kansas City, and, uh, you know, a lot of people may know or they may not know. He's fluent in Spanish, so, you know, being Asian-born but also being, you know, uh, a Spanish speaker, I think that, you know, Definitely, he makes him a good bullpen guy. Uh, I mean, a good locker room guy, you know, good clubhouse guy. Uh, you know, and Bruce and just, I mean, and Gavin Floyd taking some of these young arms and just being able to relate from, you know, the mound perspective, not so much as the manager or the pitching coach coming towards talking to these guys. But we go from the ball going across the plate to the guys that will be having to catch the ball and also put up some runs. We look at this Indians returning roster. I mean, we know what we got with John Gomes, Michael Brantley. Um, if we're if we're talking, you know, uh, uh, we're talking even, you know, uh, Michael Bourne. I mean, we, we know what we got in those known commodities, but we got Nick Swisher coming back. Uh, that interior, we got Lonnie Chisholm-Hall. David Murphy, Ryan Rayburn, you know, Michael Villas, the, the five two players that make up the Indian squad. Um what what are we looking for? And of course we know Jose Ramirez has now been on this roster. Uh in the big off season signing of Brandon Moss. We got a log jam out in right field and of course what are we doing with shortstop and third base? Well, shortstop's gonna be we're gonna have to figure out quickly here whether it's Ramirez or if uh, it's time for Francisco Lindor to finally live up to his hype and take the reins at shortstop. Um, I actually, I like the depth of this team and the personality and also the the flexibility. I expect Swisher to be able to come back and 
be half of, or not, not half, be, be closer to what we had expected to get in them. Uh, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt over one season. Um, you know, there's a reason the numbers on the back of your bubble, bubblegum card are what they are uh, when it looks at averages. And uh, Brandon Moss is a great addition, uh, power hitter. And so between the two of them, uh, hopefully we can get the stats that we were expecting from Swisher. Yeah, Brandon Moss coming off the hip surgery, uh, looking to maybe get to some spring uh, to some spring baseball coming in March. We might see him actually in the lineup for the first time. Uh, he is swinging the bat right now, though. Uh, we know we got Carlos Santana at first base. So then, I mean, it's Swisher DH. I mean, is that just going to be a rotating DH thing, maybe with him and Moss, or you know, he's not going to play too much right field. Jason Kipnis, we he had a bad year. A lot of said about him being injured last year, but is he going to move out to right field and we're going to see somebody else at second base? And then the third base question, who's going to play there? Uh, I don't understand when we're going to take the dial at the case and actually let Francis Lindor play baseball. All we hear is, first of all, you hear that he's great in the community, out uh, in the community, off the field. If it's, he's the first person to step up, if it's going to community events to talking to kids and things like that. So he'd be great just to have for that aspect. But on the foot on, on the football field, on the baseball diamond, the India's biggest problem last year, we had great pitching and, and stretches, but our defense was atrocious. So, you know, this guy has known been known for a glove. Why can't we get that glove up here to shore up that definite, definite uh spot? Well, it has nothing to do really with him being ready. It's more about the Indians wanting to keep the arbitration years and keep him longer uh, before he hits his free agency period. So it, it's going to be really interesting here if he tears the the cover off the ball in spring training, if they're going to be able to start him down at AAA and gain an extra year of eligibility. Um, I, I, I really hope they think that this is a team that can contend and won't let that cloud their decision-making and put the best guys out there that can get the job done. And I think at this point, it's time for Lindor with the door wide open there uh, based on what he's done uh, in his career at this point. And like you said, defensively up the middle, we we weren't very good last year. Uh, I, I think I hope Kipnis has a bounce back here. I hope Michael Bourne has a bounce back here. Those are two guys that were, are all-stars that we we need to have at least uh, close to what their productivity was two years ago uh, to have a real good chance. And you're going to need a couple guys that you're not counting on and you don't know who they are uh, at this point to to be there uh, in May or June and, and put up some big numbers. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's, that's the fun of the journey and that's the, the hope in, in winning a championship. Well, yeah, and I mean, I I don't think we're in a situation. I, I hope we're not in a situation. If Tito wants Lindor to come up, he'll definitely come up. Uh, I hope the Indians aren't looking at the bottom line versus, uh, you know, uh, what's going to be good for this baseball club. Um, we see the Indians say goodbye, and uh, we see all Major League Baseball say goodbye. We saw Jason Giambi retire, uh, hang up the golden thong. Um, you know, it, it's one of these things. We, we're going to need somebody to step up, like you said, whether it's Brandon Moss uh I know you believe in this, uh, the whole lineup being consistent and hitting, um, but when we saw a guy slumped last year, whether it was Carlos Santana at the beginning of the year or Lonnie Baseball in the second half of the season, 
you know, we, we need to find some consistency within this lineup to be able to get runs on the board to help the, the you know, encourage and encourage that young pitching staff that we're so excited about. Yeah, and I, I think that starts at the top of the lineup, you know, and you can point kind of towards Michael Bourne and the importance of the leadoff guy getting on base and uh, getting the pitcher right out of his windup and into the set position and causing havoc on the base pass. So uh, I think it's it, Michael Bourne is a big key for this lineup and his health and his effectiveness throughout the season. All right. Well, we got a lot of prospects in the Indian system, um, and some of the minor league free agents that the Indians brought in: Scott Downs, Brett Hayes, Dustin Hood. Uh, Scott Downs, of course, the left-handed pitcher. Uh, Jeff Manship, right-handed uh, pitcher, and Dustin Malakin, uh Adam Moore, and uh, Michael Co- Michael Roth. Uh, any of these guys that you see uh, coming in, uh, free agents, maybe making the squad, and then of course, will we see any of our other prospects that? Uh, People are really hot on him. We got uh, if Michael Bourne doesn't work out. Will we see uh, like a Tyler Naquan coming in, uh, Naquin coming in, Tyler Naquin coming in, uh, maybe, or James Ramsey, or will we see even uh, Giovanni Urshela, the Colombian? You know, uh, is there anything that we see that, or you know, we had Holt and uh, Walters last year, or any other guys, or even Jesus Aguilar? Uh, we know Roberto Perez will be out there, but is there any other? You talk about some of the surprises we might see. Anything that we should be looking at? You know. Um, I, I, I for one, I want some pop. You know me. I want the pop. We know Aguilar can hit the cover off the ball. We saw Walters and Holt, you know, make a little bit of a noise last year. It's a great spot. To, we got to find some pop to add to this lineup, even if it is on a limited basis. Well, I, I think there aren't a lot of roster spots right now that uh, you any of these guys are going to be on the team coming out of camp. Um, I, I think Aguilar is the most interesting one based on uh, the health of Swisher and Moss. Uh, he could be up very early and could be one of those guys that we were talking about that uh, come out of nowhere. Um, so it, it, it'll be interesting, and that's the whole point of coming out of nowhere. Uh, it, it's nice on one hand to be healthy and to and to have the guys in place for the most part, uh, but also – uh, it, it's good to know that the youth is there and uh, we have some capable stuff and we don't have to rush these guys into the majors. And uh, hopefully that helps in not only their development, but uh, keeping these guys around for for multiple years. There's no question. There's no question. Well, definitely excited about the uh, Cleveland Indians. Um, and we get our first look at the tribe coming up here March the 3rd on Sports Time Ohio. Of course, they'll be playing our neighbors to the south, the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, you know, and it, it'll be great to see just the, the crack of the bat, to hear the crack of the bat and to see the Indians uh, kick around a little dust out there. So, And big news, uh, one half with Ohio Bias will be reporting live from the last week of spring training, uh, heading out to Goodyear, Arizona. Uh, at the end of March, so uh, I'll be looking for some players and giving you some uh, inside feed on what's going on in the, um, Arizona at Goodyear. All right. We want to talk about the other big thing that happened in Major League Baseball. We saw our new commissioner, Rob Manford. Um, you know, I talked about it before. The guy actually sent out an email to let everybody know when he took over from Buzz Felix. Uh, I was very excited about that. Now we see the pace of play 
rules come into effect for the new MLB 2015 season. And pretty much it's three rules that uh, will affect the game. I was trying to an asshole. That's fine. With the new MLB rule changes, uh, hitters must keep one foot in the batter's box during at-bats, and the umpires will enforce this rule and be allowed certain exceptions. The batters will be allowed certain exceptions. Uh, there will now be timers used to ensure that the end of innings will resume play. That um, there will be timers now. There will now be timers used to ensure that play will resume properly at the end of innings. And now there is a uh, uh, now with replay challenges, the umpires, I mean, the managers, with replay challenges, managers will now stay in the dugout. One of the interesting things, though, in that replay challenge rule, during tiebreaker games, postseason games, and all-star games, you will be allowed two challenges. So, uh, Jake, your thoughts on the new MLB rules? And, of course, you got to give the disclaimer that you uh, do umpire games. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm a bit of a purist, I guess, uh, I mean that way. Um, I, I would like a little bit of a faster game, but the rules are already in place to to have a faster game. It's just a matter of the umpires enforcing them. You know, they, they got to – you don't need a shot clock in baseball. Just, you know, here's the ball, let's go, let's pitch, stay in the box. You know, the, the umpire is in control of the game. Uh, but it, and it seems like all these rules are undermining umpires uh, with the replay rules, uh, you know, and it's taking away from baseball itself, you know, staying in the dugout for a challenge. You know, one of the cool things was seeing Earl Weaver turn his hat backwards or Lou Pinella throw a base every once in a while. You know, it, it's baseball. It, it, we're not here to uh, hurry through it if you're going to sit there and watch a ball game. Uh, you, you can catch parts of it and still be involved in, in knowing what's going on in the game. So, uh, yeah, I think it'd be nice for ball games to speed up a little bit, but I think we're just it, – it's getting to a ridiculous point, and these rule changes really aren't needed. Um, you know, human error is – it's kind of uh, – there's a certain sense of charm to – the human error of of what what was baseball with the whether that was the umpires calling it inside strike or uh, whether or not a really close play at first was safer out. Uh, so it just if you ask me, it's a replay that's slowing the game down more now. Well, to me, I, I agree that uh, you know I don't see these changes as ridiculous, uh, and I think. Uh, the enforcement of the rules has always been my biggest thing with baseball, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, umpires, the way they're calling the game and things like that. I mean, after the fact, it's always, you know, well, that was the way the game goes. When we, we talk about these rules, there's a way to speed up the game without it having to affect play directly or you directly changing uh, on uh, in-game baseball, you know. With commercials and things like that, the way the advertising is, they could shorten the amount of TV timeouts. They could advertise with a small box. If you see how they do uh, the UFC, they sometimes, you know, shrink the screen to let uh, ads go at the bottom of it during uh, in-between rounds, the way they do it for the fights that are on Fox and uh, on uh, free TV. You know, uh, there's a lot of things that baseball could do to uh, 
to take away the timing of certain events that don't have to do with the game. Uh, a lot of things that they buckle to is the pressure of advertising and the way that they broadcast. And I think those are the kind of things that they could try to implement first in trying to mess with the with the game. I think they're trying to, uh, once again, put lipstick on a pig where they're showing that they're conforming to some of the things that people have criticized about the game. But a lot of those people that criticize the game for things aren't, you know, baseball purists, like you say, or baseball enthusiasts. They're trying to get back to getting casual fans to love baseball and I, I, I don't think that's something you're not going in the right direction as a sport if you're trying to do that. So that's just me. Uh, the problems no, I have with baseball have nothing – the problems I have with baseball or things I would change have nothing to do with this kind of sort of thing. So. No, try starting a World Series game between before 8.30 so it's over before 1 a.m. and You know, you, the, the way you get a hold of and make baseball more marketable – you get more kids playing it. You get more kids involved in it. You you make your you you start marketing your athletes. You know this stuff's all trivial, and uh, it, it's actually like I said. I think it, it feels like to me taking away from the sport more than helping the sport. And even if we see the Indians with their start times that'll be coming up this season, uh, they're starting games at six. They're starting some games at six ten. You know. Uh, starting games a little bit earlier, that lets people who are getting off work maybe go to directly if you're downtown or in that downtown area, go to a game. It's only six games this season. It's not like, you know, it's uh, uh, the whole schedule. But I think different start times, whether we're, you know, doing some Saturday afternoon games and things like that, uh, even with the business day games, you know, the Indians reach out to, the, like, the MLB, like, you know, buys tickets for Little League baseball players and excuses them for school for that debt. I know it sounds crazy, but – I mean, you can take kids out of school to go to baseball because it's an educational experience and all the history that they would learn of sports and the way sports had an impact and the game of baseball had an impact on this, you know, our country of America and things like that is an educational experience. So I think there's a lot of things the MLB could do, um, and this is just, you know, like I said, uh, we'll, we'll see, and uh, we definitely already see some backlash, and we'll be covering that, though, with an OhioBias.com uh, We'll have more and more for you on the pace of play and how it's implemented on future podcasts as well. You want to hit that other stuff or no? No, we can save it. All right. Well, that has been our Indians spring training preview show. You know we're going to be coming back talking tribe on our regular podcast, but wanted to break one out and just, you know, toss around the ball back and forth the verbal, the proverbial ball back and forth when we're talking Cleveland Indians. We're definitely looking forward to this season uh, and to seeing baseball. So happy that it's back. As always, Rose Tribe, Windians, Cleveland. Enjoy baseball. Enjoy some peanuts and Cracker Jacks and love baseball. As always. All right. I got, I mean, I'm trying to cram all that stuff is kind of hard. You know, go on all over the place, so I'll make it work. I just want to get the stuff in that way I can edit it around. So, cool. Anything else? No, that's about it. All right, man. Well, just send me an email if you think of something else or something like that. But I think it should be good. So. Yeah, I thought we did good. I thought it was good shows. Cool. All right, man. All right, bro. Yeah, I'll talk to you later.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.